0: Brown is the motion man. Little flip to Fitzgerald. He scores! And the Cardinals win an amazing game. <laughs>
1: So last year, it was the weirdly spaced Midwest tour announcement. Oh, and yeah. And yesterday, yeah. we got the mostly South tour announcement. And I wonder, is there anything worth doing for four days in Florida besides Disney World? I mean, did they really need four shows in Florida? Hmm. Of course, I'm talking about the Mighty Pearl Jam, who announced a tour but weren't really clear if what they announced included the 25-year celebration they hinted at. Right. Now, I would think that it's either the Wrigley or the Fenway show or both. There's four shows, two at each venue. And I would think that it would be an East Coast and a Midwest version. It's of, two at each venue. Right. It's right, two okay. at each. So it's four total. Yep. So I'd assume that, and they're separated from the Tour as well,
2: and there's a day in between each show. Do you think that's just so they can rest, or do you think that's in case of like? Yeah, I think they something? want to
1: play three-hour shows in the stadium, and okay, you know.
2: I was wondering if it was because of what happened in where was it Chicago? Yeah, last Yeah, I
1: mean time? that could be built in as well. I don't know, but yeah, I, I just think that they wouldn't. My guess is that that has to be the, the, uh, the deal. But I think I'm going to go to Toronto, and. All indications are that there'll be two there. They didn't announce two, but, I mean, there's countless precedent for Pearl yeah, Jam so. announcing one sure. and then adding the second one. Um, and then I'm going to go to MSG, spend the weekend with my brothers in New oh, York that's cool. and go to the shows on MSG. Does he
2: have a hookup there that you know of?
1: I mean, his work has a box, I mean, but who knows how accessible it is for Pearl Jam. I have no idea. Sure. We're not going to focus on that. And then I want to go to one of the four stadium shows. You know, I, mm-hmm. I just wanted probably Boston. It's a lot easier. You know what else I
2: noticed that's weird about this tour uh, compared to a lot of other ones? At least the shows that would... I mean, there's ones I cross right off the list. Like, I'm not going to go to Florida to see them. It's just right. Any of the things not in the, the South, feasible. Feasible. the right. festivals are out. Anything that's more than like a day drive or makes sense to... I mean, I'm, I'm not even going to fly anywhere for one show. It just doesn't make sense money-wise, whatever. But... uh they're all, like, during the week, too. There's very few, like, Saturday night, Friday night No, I don't think any of
1: the four stadium shows are during yeah, the week. Re- oh, really? Those are Friday not- and Sunday, I think. Both oh, okay.
2: Yeah, but the all the other shows I was looking at that seemed kind of close, maybe drive-wise, were all, like, Wednesday nights. Like, Toronto is Tuesday. I mean, I, I put in for the lottery, which I'm sure I'll lose again to get those tickets. But. It's
1: interesting because I talked to you the day before and you're like, I have all this fantasy money saved. Yeah. I'm going to use it all for Pearl Jam. I was and then it's they'd not exactly here. what you want. So it seems like you're just battling on it.
2: But I can't do any of them in a day. I mean, all of them I'm going to have to get a hotel for except for Toronto. I mean, that money will go fast.
1: I mean, you know, you're not going to go by yourself to any of them. Right. But so I, it's not like you, you need to go by yourself.
2: No, but if, they're all
1: also... I mean, what's the argument against doing, let's say, the Sunday Boston show?
2: When is when is it?
1: It's I in think. August.
2: Oh, it's in August?
1: I don't know. I think it's August 7th.
2: That one maybe is doable. That one might be doable. I guess I didn't look that far ahead. Huh? I mean, if you're
1: talking about a Pearl Jam 25 three-hour stadium show, yeah. what's the argument against that, especially since you don't have money to spend on buffalo or hamilton right
2: right no i mean it's not a that wouldn't be a money argument that was more of a time off
1: argument and uh so it's probably one day the monday
2: yeah that one's not bad no i don't mean from work i mean away from from home
1: august that's tricky obviously
2: august works because michelle's off so august is more in play than i looked mostly at the uh what is it april may shows right the first wave like those were not going to work during the week unless it was drivable on one night and come back
1: so or a weekend
2: but yeah it was I, I was, didn't
1: think there was really many cities I'd want to go to in the first wave was the problem I mean I, I want to go to MSG obviously do you have um, any thoughts of Bonnaroo no no I hate festivals
2: I've never been to one so I'm kind of tempted they don't to do play it long enough one and, time yeah, what would they play? They're considered a headliner, but there's like three headliners. So they play one night? Is that how that would work? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I guess I'm tempted by the whole whatever spectacle of it, but I don't think I would enjoy it as much as... I mean, you could probably buy tickets for three shows for the price of the festival, I'm sure. So. Oh, yeah,
1: you totally exhaust your budget doing that for sure. Right. You know, but... No, I mean, it's it's tough to...
2: We've been spoiled, I think, a lot of years as far as like Pittsburgh yep. and Ohio goes. It mm-hmm. seems like they would usually get a couple shows in there, and those are a day trip for us. I mean, if there's two in a row, maybe we stay at a friend's house or something on the way there. But uh, this one was not good for that.
1: <laughs> well, I haven't been to one in, since 2013. Yeah, I haven't so, either. So I'm kind of thinking I want to. I'd like to do four. It's a tricky time for me. Obviously, I have a pretty pregnant wife. Right. Um, but. I think the early May ones are fine, and then I think that the August ones are enough into the baby's life where, you know, to be gone for two and a half days or even three days is not a problem.
2: I think we've discussed this before, too, but, like, does New Orleans interest you at all? Because well, of no, because it's a festival,
1: and the Saints aren't playing. Right. I mean, I'm never going to New Orleans. Your love is for the and Saints. And not to see the Saints. For New Orleans I'm not going to go all the way there. Yeah, I have no attachment to the city. Right. What do I care about the city? Um, I actually hate their weather. (laughs) Uh, It's pretty dirty and I'm not a big partier. So, I mean, it's actually would be really low on my list of cities. But, um, yeah, no, it's not a great – I mean, I'd love to see that Quebec show because I heard they paid a ton of money to book them and to cancel Montreal out. Mm -hmm. Like they got exclusivity because it's their brand new – you know, building that they just built and they don't have a team there yet. So they got to get dates. So they're overpaying for that, but I'm not going all the way there. What is, what is that drive? It's over six hours. I think to Quebec city. Yeah. I've never been, you know, so that one probably not going to do. I've already been to Ottawa. Um, I think I'm good. I'll do the two in Toronto. I'll do the two in New York and then I'm going to do one of the four. Stadium shows, and I'd like it to be the Sunday at Wrigley, and I'd like you to do that one too. In, oh, I thought I you think, said Boston. Oh yeah, that's what I meant. What did I say? Wrigley. Wrigley. I meant to say way. Yeah, I think that we can even drive on Saturday.
2: Yeah, that is an eight five. Eight, it's a Friday and a Sunday, like you said.
1: Yeah, I think we can spend Saturday driving there. You know, we don't have to stay in Boston proper for any reason. Right, you know we can drive six hours on Saturday, sleep, wake up the next day, go to the show, and then drive back after the show the two hours to our hotel.
2: You know, oh, right. stay
1: and then you know come back on Monday or whatever. So, I think that's a doable one. Yeah, anyway, um, we do have other business. It is season <laughs> six talk. of the Sportscasters, uh, the second episode. We kicked off the season last week. I want to thank SL Price. And uh, Chris Trapasso for being on the show last week. Did you listen to Chris at all, and his discussion of building websites and things like that? No. And speaking really of cool.
2: that, part of the problem is I screwed up. And yeah, you
1: misdated it.
2: I'm not sure how that works. If I think the problem if you is you
1: already loaded it. Yeah, I
2: think it was the problem with my device. Yeah,
1: it's lost. You yeah. got to scroll down to find it.
2: I was trying to figure out how to like delete it from my feed to if get it If you haven't up, loaded
1: it yet, it I think it'll fine. come up. Right.
2: Yeah, I screwed that up. I had the whole thing fine, and then I realized... I knew I was going to do that, too. like, it's like a as check. As I edited it. Yep. It's, it's like, like a check. I was still writing 2015. Yeah. Sorry about that.
1: Uh, today is January 20th, 2016. We have Brian Curtis, formerly of Grantland. Right. Gr- great guy. One of our favorites. He's going to actually talk a little bit. He's willing to talk. December 31st, he was no longer contractually obligated to them. So he's willing to talk about... Why Grantland disappeared one day, in his Hmm. opinion.
2: So they kind of had like a gag order until then?
1: He was just a contracted employee. Oh, okay. And he was basically getting paid to not do anything. Okay, right. So there was no reason for him to rock the boat. Sure. And uh, we'll also talk to Mike Harrington of the Buffalo News. Every year we debate Sabre stuff with him. (laughs) Uh, We talk some NHL in general, too, because he's writing the inside the NHL column in the Buffalo News now. Do you get into
2: John Scott with him?
1: We don't. Me and you will get into it, though. Okay uh in three things uh we got a quick book of updates still no books for that we'll finish with one last thing and since don wants to talk about john scott so badly we might as well do three things now
0: let's play a game all right Mm -hmm.
2: count of three
1: one all righty i'll take it off two the oil patterns on a pba lane are very very difficult I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback. <laughs> this
3: is the funnest night ever. <laughs> did we just become best friends? Yep.
1: Now let's move on to other business. I really have, want to have a Sportscasters Maintenance Day where we update and clean some things up on the website and yeah. updo- update those drops. <laughs> yeah, they- like, Jamarcus Russell no longer belongs in our drop. We were talking about
2: that when we did a... Uh... Or when we do the fantasy football one, like many many of the players in the fantasy football drop do not play right nFL football anymore
1: uh we'll get to John Scott in a second, but the first thing we have to do is ridicule Don yes, because somehow you managed to not I did not sit down the end of from Arizona
2: s- no I did not I had to watch it at uh in highlights now
1: I can understand what the first game that day was New England mm-hmm. And that game starts at 4.30, and you have two young children, and they want to eat dinner, they want to see Frozen, <laughs> they want to play with balls, they want to have tea yeah. dates with Daddy, they want to do all kinds of stuff. What in the world were you doing at 1130 thirty remember. on a day that you were soliciting people for board games? That's right. So clearly you are not swamped with no. obligation that day.
2: That's right. I I don't remember. I think I watched a movie or something. I think I, sh- I got to halftime and somehow I watched a movie or something at, at, instead of the rest of the game.
1: It is a disgrace and also a great <laughs> advertisement for two TVs in your living room. You can't beat it. Oh, yeah. It's the number one thing in the world. I'd never go back. Uh, regardless, it was an epic game. We usually don't look back, but... Aaron Rodgers threw for 101 yards on the final drive with 50 seconds and no timeouts to tie that thing. Yep. And I just think we had to take a minute to say that Aaron Rodgers is – he's just – he didn't even have a good season, and he did two of the most incredible things a quarterback did all year.
2: Yeah, I've always kind of been uh, alone – not alone, but in the minority in Buffalo and praising Tom Brady for how good he is with so little – uh, we said before we came out, Aaron Rodgers is nothing on that team.
1: Yeah, because Cobb hurt his shoulder early and was just not the same. He hasn't been good all
2: year. Yeah, was either. not the same right. without
1: Nelson there. Right. And but So that obviously means Nelson uh, wasn't there.
2: Devontae Adams, if you're a fantasy player, was, a was boss. kind of a sexy young pick to break out this year, did nothing. Never any good. Yeah, none of these guys can catch the ball. I mean, the, the best weapon he had on Sunday was Jeff Janis, who was kind of like what was the guy from the Jags a few years back who's just kind of like a freak but real raw? Matt Jones. Matt Jones. Like he was huge but was super fast. And I mean, Matt Jones never turned out to be anything. And Jeff Janice hasn't yet until that game. He had a real nice real Yeah, nice... he caught
1: both of the catches. The fourth and 20 um, in his own end zone where Rodgers rolled out to the left and heaved it 63 yards in the air pretty much. Right to Janice. And then another Hal Mary. Of course, with overtime, and I did want to mention this, are you okay with Rodgers not touching it in overtime? Are you okay with the idea, and it's been modified, Yeah, uh, that remember. still Rodgers, who doesn't play defense, uh, can lose that game after 101 yards to tie it without ever touching it again? You I mean, think they got the best thing? Could it be better?
2: I think soccer does it the best, really, where you do. uh they but just I, play 30 I don't, minutes. I don't think they'll ever do another full quarter of the NFL. But I mean, that I think brings up a lot of interesting scenarios as far as like. Right now, it's kind of like Dia Receiver kickoff, and Belichick kicked off uh, to end the regular seasoning. Right, and that backfired. Backfired, so he got killed for it. And
1: Now, they lost the coin toss, and you might not have seen they had to do the coin toss twice. I, I did it didn't hear slip, Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, so weird. And it didn't flip, too. Like, they have a good camera angle of it, and sure enough, it goes straight up and comes straight down.
2: <laughs> he just missed it with his thumb? Or yeah, something. it just didn't flip.
1: <laughs> who knows? Uh, but I think no matter what system you have, there's going to be flaws. Yeah. You know, there's flaws in the college system. Like, if you go second, you can go for two, but the team who goes first really can't. Right, so like in the the way it works in college overtime, if you go first and you score a touchdown,
2: it's almost like baseball in college. And overtime.
1: you go for two, then and you miss it, then they can beat you with an extra point. Right, so you yep. have to kick the extra point to go up by seven, and then the other team, when they get it, they can go for two and beat you. Sure, uh, which is a, a little bit of an advantage. And Boise State in, against Oklahoma took, took advantage right. of that, yep, famously to win that game. Uh, Oklahoma on the first play, Jim Peterson ran for 25 yards and clearly without being touched and clearly Boise State was gassed so they went for 2. Yep. And they won it.
2: I think short of playing a full 15 I th- I think what the NFL has done is is pretty good actually.
1: I mean I, I don't like a lot of their
2: overcorrections or just kind of confusing rules that they make for things but uh I think this is about as good as it's going to get.
1: Well, Arizona will travel to Carolina who did beat Seattle. I want to say convincingly, but they did get tight and allowed Seattle to make a game of it. I don't know watching it if I ever thought it was Seattle's going to do this, right, yeah. but there were some opportunities there.
2: I mean, Seattle played like three really good minutes of football. Or, I don't remember the exact Yeah, if time.
1: you add it, it all up, that's probably well, about what they played. But I
2: mean, even like. Uh, they game... got it
1: to 31 14 really fast. Real fast, fast. yeah. yeah. That, that's and it, that was the point where it's like, okay, Caroline, it's got to get going here. You know, but then they got a couple stops, they made a couple punts, and time just kind of ticked away. And I mean, really, when you're up 31,
2: I, I know we talked about this off the air a little bit, Like you can play too safe, but a couple first downs, and you're running a lot of clocks. So.
1: so Arizona and Carolina will play. Hey, it's the one and two teams. Clearly been yep. the two te- best teams in this league, the NFC, all year. Sure, yeah. So they'll get a chance to play in Carolina this week. It is the second game. Right, Seattle was first last year. Yep, yep, yep. Seattle, Green Bay was first, so they're the second game this week. Okay, and they alternate that; they just uh, rotate that. So if you can remember who was first or second last year, gotcha. you, you got it. And New England and the Flakegate game was second. Um, All right. Yeah. So I don't know who I like. I think I think part of me likes Carolina a bit. I think that loss was huge for them when it happened. I think they regrouped. I think maybe even the way they won, the way they won their playoff game. Yeah, I mean you kind
2: of you make it real easy, but then like you you kind of face a little adversity and you still come through it. So
1: it's kind of a reminder, like, oh shit, we got to play sixty minutes, right? Yeah, yeah.
2: and uh, like you said, Arizona's maybe like, and they won such a
1: dramatic game too, right? Arizona, that sometimes that can be.
2: Yeah, I would probably like Carolina to win. I. I guess I, if I was rooting for a team it would be Car- the Cardinals. I mean it'd just be kind of cool to see Fitzgerald get get back to the Super Bowl and Did Palmer's... you have a
1: problem with Cam Newton taking the Seattle 12 flag from the fan, crumpling it up and throwing it on the ground?
2: <laughs> I don't know. Nothing Cam Newton does is going to He's not going to win many fans with his attitude. I mean, Panthers fans probably He's a love guy that. if he's just your the...
1: guy, you freaking love all his sure. antics and yep. If he's the guy you don't want to cheer for he gives you plenty of opportunity to yeah yep but although it makes you seem pretty uptight i didn't have a problem with it i'm sure if that person really wanted that flag back someone would have grabbed it for them <laughs> right. you know i don't think like so. or the
2: team would have given
1: him a thousand things yeah, and... so I i'm all right yeah uh the afc pittsburgh just didn't quite have enough horses this is
2: kind of like old school i mean did you see anything this weekend by the way yes
1: okay so did you see any of pittsburgh denver
2: yes i didn't watch all of any of the games but yes
1: yeah i just didn't i thought pittsburgh should have won the game like pittsburgh pittsburgh was the better team it felt like it all season or no in the game just in the game it just felt like they made one mistake a fumble which resulted in the one touchdown that denver scored and that was the difference in the game. And you just feel like if Antonio... Yeah, that Antonio, poor guy
2: that you've never heard of before right. fumbles the ball. And
1: you feel like if Antonio Brown was there...
2: Well, yeah, that's what we said last week. That that game against the Bengals sucks because either team is... Power, Pitts, yes, Pittsburgh makes it through, but they're beat to, beat to shit. And, and I think to they felt the it. And,
1: you know, that is part of Denver's advantage is getting <clears throat> the bye. Denver's D has looked a little beatable,
2: though. It's not like... Pittsburgh couldn't move the ball at all. And maybe that's just how good Ben Roethlisberger is. I don't know. but
1: And it doesn't get any easier for them. I mean, they have to go to New England. In- or they get to stay home. They're the one seed. I forget that. My inclination is that New England's the one seed. But they're not. Okay. You know, New England <laughs> has to go to Denver and play that game a mile high. Which
2: uh, Manning fans will point out. I-, I think Peyton, I might be wrong about this 2-0 and against Brady. When he won, Brady's on the road. He probably has never played.
1: in the championship games. Oh, it's that specific. Okay. I think yeah, that might be right.
2: That might be right too.
1: Uh, but look, it. I would be shocked if New England doesn't win.
2: I would be too. And I said, I, I think Manning is a cool story because he clearly. I know he's got nothing though. He's got nothing left. <laughs> this is. I mean, if they were to go on and somehow win the Super Bowl, I mean, he'd have to retire. So that would be a cool exit for him. The
1: way he is limited I think just gives a guy like Belichick such an advantage. He's just going to take away everything Manning can do and dare him to do what he knows he can't.
2: Yeah, and I mean what – if you're a fantasy player, you always loved... If you could figure out which one, you always loved having a Broncos running back. and that Or whoever. Manning's running back right. was always good because Manning would always put them in such good situations. But I don't think people fear Manning throwing the ball downfield at all. So, even the running backs. Although they had a decent game.
1: And Edelman, who I thought maybe was just going to be going out there and going through the motions, he looked really good and healthy. So
2: Yep, they got healthy at the right time. I mean, if you got to get hurt and get healthy.
1: I wanted to mention... It's kind of a. There's a couple like little football things going on. Jeff uh, Josh Gordon applied for reinstatement. Did he? Yeah, I don't know if you've seen that. I don't see why you wouldn't give it to him. I yeah, don't, I don't right. think he did anything wrong. No. Um, during the his season off, so I would think he will be back.
2: Uh, yeah. For how long is the question? I guess. Yeah, I
1: mean, I don't know. You never know what happens to a guy when he's away for a week. Or for a year. Was he selling cars again? Yeah, I don't. I didn't hear that.
2: I didn't hear it either. But it was a big deal the first time.
1: Um, the Broncos are not selling tickets east of the Rockies, <laughs> which is always an interesting ploy. But like they do know that people will just buy them in the secondary uh, market. Sure. Right. Um, and I wanted to mention that the kind of the deadline to declare for the draft mm-hmm. has passed. And another year with a record number of underclassmen. underclassmen declaring. And it's over 100 this time. And that means that a lot of people got bad advice. And
2: Oh, yeah. You know, because 100 yeah.
1: underclassmen are unfortunately not going to be drafted.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's certainly, of the 100, even if it was all underclassmen drafted, someone's going to be a third-round pick, and maybe that third-round pick could improve his stock by playing another year.
1: And, you know, the the NFL has done everything they can, I think, to discourage underclassmen coming out, right? They changed the rookie pay scale drastically. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, and... Uh, yeah, you're not
2: getting, speaking of Jamarcus Russell, you're not getting Jamarcus right, or, Russell money. You know,
1: Sam Bradford was the last one right, yeah. who got to make that ungodly oh. amount. and almost got to the point where you, you couldn't draft a quarterback first overall because it was so expensive. Mm-hmm. You know, and Sam Bradford was the last. So they've done everything they can, and they have the advisory board that tells you if you won't be a first or second pick, in their opinion. And, you know, just whatever they do, guys come out. And I I found it interesting.
2: I get it maybe if you're a running back. Because maybe you've seen everything that happens in the NFL and how you don't necessarily need to be a first-round pick. I mean, if you could play your ass off as a rookie, that second contract could be big i mean it like what happens with like shark Hendrick west next year or those type i mean he's he was an undrafted
1: yeah we know agent. with running backs i mean you only, only got so many hits in that body right and sure maybe that's yeah all players.
2: so but i don't get it like as a quarterback that seems like you're getting bad advice like you said if you... some
1: quotes from a dan wetzel article on yahoo okay this is the commissioner i think what we've learned from experience is that very few individuals are ready whether emotionally, physically, or from a maturity level, to jump early to the NFL, we don't benefit by having them come out early. Um, Wetzel goes on to say that you know, like we talked about, Goodell implemented the rookie scale, believing that because of that, try to curb it a little bit. It would curb it. Of course, he was wrong. Uh, the number of underclassmen who declared for the NFL draft in 2010, the year that Bradford was first overall in the last mm-hmm. year, was 53. The number of declared is 103 this year. Right, It'll break the record for the fourth time in the past five years. Wow. Of course, college football wants to break the trend. The NFL wants to break the trend, but the trend just keeps going up and up and up.
2: I think the problem with football, and it, it's so brutal that there's no real other way to do it, but In things like hockey or baseball, you have other leagues. You know what I mean? Like uh, a kid like Jack Eichel here or Austin Matthews. Like Austin Matthews is playing in a pro league right now. And Jack Eichel played the highest level college he could. You could tell from these guys there's just no, no reason to not... The Make big, that jump.
1: The big reason why people are making the jump is because of the four-year rookie contracts with the fifth-year option. Just get them out of the way. Think of this. The team that drafts you in the first round, this is from C.J. Leboy of Relativity Sports. The team that drafts you in the first round can keep you locked up for five years. Then you're 27 or 28, and you're literally near the tail end of your career yeah, no kidding. by the time you get your second contract, if you get a second contract.
2: Maybe they fix that. So,
1: you know, if they're serious. Make, make
2: that 2 years with a 3rd year option or something like that.
1: Uh Antoine Randall who at age 36 as he struggles brutal. to get up and down stairs, suffers from memory loss and despite his love of the game wishes he never played it. If I could go back, I wouldn't play football.
2: Now that's easy for him to say because he he's was injured. Well, he was drafted as a baseball player too.
1: Right. So, I mean, he's
2: not everyone has the option. I mean, for some people it's pumping gas or playing football. So. Yep.
1: Calvin Johnson's contemplating early retirement. Yeah. Um, so
2: yeah. Randall L actually made a quote in the same story about how he doesn't expect the NFL to be around in 25, 30 years. And we've talked about that. I think as many, many, many times there's poor kids, there's going to be an NFL. Well, yeah, but. that, that too. It's almost like, like Coliseum type stuff. But, uh, I think it'll be around I think it's just gonna it's just gonna have to keep evolving somehow
1: you know, less practice, something less this less that'll yeah. always be less and less and less sure all right, quickly let's talk about John Scott, so John Scott, for those who don't know, is a tough guy in the n f l or the NHL. yeah Big, he's a fighter
2: goofy six eight or something
1: if you go to john scott hockey d b you see some stats that you know. What? Yeah. <laughs> he has five NHL goals. Okay. Um, so his hockey DB, his NHL totals. He has played 285 NHL games. He has five NHL goals, six NHL assists for 11 NHL points. He also has 542 NHL penalty minutes. So he's averaging almost two penalty minutes a game. Which is pretty, her- <laughs> pretty, <laughs> it's crazy, pretty heroic. Uh, he was so our buddy Waschinsky, yeah. right? He started all this sort of him and Merrick, the Merrick versus washinsky podcast.
2: Oh, they there is like I didn't know there was a source for kind of
1: one of the best. Yeah, uh, John Merrick one day mentioned that he thought it would be funny if someone like John Scott had to play in the All Star game because of the format. The three-on-three. Yeah. Um, And just kind of made it as an off statement. And then people started voting for him. And then next thing you know, he's leading the voting. Uh, The NHL always used to update their all-star voting every week. As soon as he got to the top, they stopped updating it. Almost like in a way of like hoping people forgot.
2: Yeah, they stopped the advertising kind of too. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then John Scott was the winner of the vote. Supposedly the NHL and the Coyotes asked him to decline it. He wouldn't. So then he got traded like in the middle of the night on a Friday. It was announced he was traded to Montreal who immediately sent him down to the AHL. It was a really strange trade. Yeah. And Bob McKenzie floated the idea that the NHL had a part in it, had a part in this trade to kind of squash him from being in the all-star game. Could be really dirty if you made a guys. Absolutely. Life be uprooted. Absolutely. You didn't want to play him in an All Star game. He's he got cares kids about. and a
2: pregnant wife, from what I understand. With twins. She's pregnant with twins. Yeah. Okay. And he has a kid or kids already, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, the word has come out. And, and the winning team gets about $90,000 90, right. player, okay. which I heard was like 20%, 20% of his salary, roughly. Right. Right. So huge so, bonus. Right, huge bonus. So of course he's gonna go.
2: I heard his wife actually was kinda you know what? If you just take it for John Scott Goon wants to play in the game, that sounds stupid. But I think his wife was someone that's like, No, you gotta go. Like just go and have you've fun. played hockey your yeah. entire life, you get to take I mean, these guys take their kids to these things. Yeah, you get
1: this unique opportunity to take your kids and go have fun. Right. And luckily the NHL did do the right thing. Right, they after they got cremated. After Roy. they got cremated. I'm not <laughs> trying to pat them on the back. Right. But luckily they did do the right thing, and John Scott will be in Nashville as the captain of the Pacific Division team.
2: Now, maybe if you're John Scott, okay, we can roll back the clock here when we used to play roller hockey together. I was John Scott in this scenario among like these guys that have actually played hockey. I knew my place on that team. You know, I'd play 10 shifts or something like that for 30 seconds at a time. If it was
1: a championship game, maybe you played six. Right.
2: Get the hell off the ice. So maybe if you're John Scott, you make the most of it. You draft. or they don't do the draft anymore. But you have fun with it. You're the captain. He made T-shirts and stuff he's going to hand out to the guys. But maybe you don't skate every single shift if you're John Scott. Like, you've done enough.
1: And you probably want that money. Yes. So (laughs) if it's in your best interest. Right. Maybe you don't get in the way. For us
2: to get the trophy, it probably made more sense for me to – Skate six shifts instead of 10 that night. So. Right. And I
1: remember you saying on the bench, as long as we win, I'm okay. Yeah. I'm okay right here. Just go out, right. Anthony and Vinny and win. Right. And Josh and whoever were our horses. It wasn't me at the time. No, it was the and, 19-year-old kids. Right, the team. young kids. But, all but, right. But, yeah,
2: I'm, I'm glad they did the right thing finally. And my biggest problem with this whole thing is is if you're going to have fan voting, as stupid as fan voting is, like where is the line?
1: Right, and they're going to change it now.
2: Like, Zemgus Gergensen's got voted in last year. Now, he's an actual NHL player, but...
1: It was his country. It was his country Word that voted in, the box, in yeah.
2: And just where's the line? Like, if a guy that has nine goals If this you're going to
1: have fan voting, there shouldn't be a line. Right. The fans, the right, idea is that the fans shouldn't. are voting for who they want to be in the game.
2: Whatever happened with uh, Fitz. Patrick, was that his name? Fitzpatrick?
1: Rory Fitzpatrick.
2: Rory Fitzpatrick.
1: Because yeah. they kind of did the same he thing declined, when he was I in think. Vancouver. He just declined. Yeah.
2: So it makes you wonder like if Vancouver or the NHL pressured him to decline.
1: I think he's just shyer.
2: Maybe. Yeah. I mean, he was a functional NHL player. Unless though. the puck is in his feet. <laughs> yeah. In game seven. No, yeah. not so
1: functional. Right. All right. We are going to take a break and come back with Brian Curtis. <laughs> All right, our next guest is from Fort Worth, Texas, and is a graduate of the University of Texas. He's a former staff writer at Grantland, and is making his fifth appearance on the podcast today. Warm sportscasters, welcome to our friend Brian Curtis. What's up, Brian?
4: What's up? That's like the first time I felt pride in Longhorn football in like three years, hearing that song.
1: It's been a rough stretch, huh? What's, what's I'm reinvigorated. I don't understand why. Like, why did that happen?
4: That's, a, that's the question I get most, and it's actually, I don't really understand either. It's kind of been a really slow moving, strange train wreck that began with a lot of bad decisions Mac Brown made, and then slightly fewer, but still a number of bad decisions Charlie Strong made, and then a lot of bad luck baked into it.
1: Yeah, because I remember, you know, Bob Stoops comes in, and, like, the 2000 game sticks out where they killed Texas, and then they beat them in 2001 on the Roy Williams play, and then it was like uh-huh. they had the upper hand in the rivalry, and then Vince Young, it's like the Vince Young game was a big turning point, and then it was like every year, it's like Texas has the number one recruiting class, Texas has the number two recruiting class, you know, Texas is a player, and then it's like that injury in the national championship game to the quarterback, it seems like it's been downhill ever since that play.
4: Yeah, I mean, never has like an injury really like been the kind of symbolic end of a of a run like that one was. Yeah. I mean, it was really amazing. We forget Texas undefeated that year. And they were really kind of like really shallow at a lot of positions. And Colt McCoy was such a good college quarterback, which people kind of forget now.
5: Yeah, it was great. He covered
4: a lot of it yeah. up. But um, they really like, <laughs> as soon as Marcel Darius annihilated his, uh, his shelter, then the whole program just like fell apart. It was so bizarre. That's still one of the uh, people don't talk about that moment, but that was because now we're talking about Alabama Dynasty. As right. we should. And that was
1: the start of it, sort of
4: It was the start of it yeah. and, and Texas got back in that game with Garrett Gilbert at quarterback, but it's sort of like that is that was one of the worst, almost awful, strangest championship game moments ever because it wasn't like you know McCoy went out in a cart or something, or you know the, you know towards ACL he just kind of walked off the field and just arm didn't work anymore.
1: Yeah, I do remember it was a little bit of bad karma because of all the cheering at the Red River rivalry that year when Bradford got hurt and was lying on the field in half the...
4: Wait a second. Did I do that? That might have been me.
1: Was it you? No, I I don't know. Uh, But, no, it's just like Oklahoma has bad losses in bowl games all the time. But But it seems like, for whatever reason, maybe this is a strength of Bob Stoops. Maybe coaching in the games maybe isn't necessarily a strength, but maintaining a pretty high level for the program after them has been a strength and yeah
4: he's he's been really good at like losing you know he's really there's certain coaches that are really good at one loss seasons you know like you look at the texas game this year when when we beat him like it it made no sense they but then they come back and and have a really nice season of course they put a ton of backup quarterbacks um, I feel sorry for him, by the way, with the big game Bob thing. Whenever he loses a game, everybody tries right. out big game Bob.
1: Right. Which and, like,
4: is... sticks a pin in him and says, ha ha, you're not big game Bob anymore. You lost something. And I you know? don't
1: think they did anything wrong in that cleansing game. I mean, they led at the half, and then the better team just kind of imposed their will in the second half as, like, important players on both sides of the ball for OU just didn't stay on the field, whether it was, you know, or or, or uh, the safety or what I mean, just players kept dropping off, and Clemson was better, and they just pulled away at the end. And I don't know that that means like that someone else should have been in the playoff. This is a frustrating thing about the playoff, and not just for OU. But after every one of the playoff games, whoever loses, they're called out as they shouldn't have been in it. This other team should have. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Yeah, it's like oh, Ohio State should have been. Oh, Stanford should have been in because you lost. It's like, well, I don't know. I think being the number 4 seed playing the 1 and having a 17-16 half time lead uh and being in that game for 65-70% of it i don't look at that as a failure yeah uh, losing
4: I, both your running backs you know during the course of the game yeah
1: Mixon and you know Samarjay went down and uh, the safety went down and um uh i just play a lot of players got hurt in the game and Clemson was better you know what i mean i i don't totally. i don't see and i think they showed how great they were in a loss in the national championship game too, you know? So yeah,
4: this is what's really funny about the whole thing is so now we've got this, you know, committee of uh, wise, wise men and women, right. Who are going to save us from ourselves, save us from the dumb computers that we had and save us from the dumb sports writers who are voting the poll and pick the best teams. But we're still, we still operate in this mindset that all these things are baked into the rankings. Right. Like, at the end of the year, does anybody think that Ohio State wasn't a better team than Michigan State? I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a pretty small list, right, even though Michigan State beat them head-to-head. Right. But we still have, the to, go we have yeah. to go by head-to-head, and we have to go by who won the conference, right? Like, you know, there would have been a revolt that people said, you know what, actually, Ohio State's a better team. Wish they were, by the way, as the bowl games right. proved. Or even Stanford, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, they lost a couple games, but... You know, unlike unlike Oklahoma who played a bunch of backup quarterbacks, they actually were like one of the few teams that got healthy Vernon Adams this year. And they got destroyed by him. Uh whereas Oklahoma's playing, you know, <laughs> whoever Baylor found a, you know, on the quad that day to go out and, and play QB. So
1: Right, which is also something Oklahoma can't control, you know, like
4: yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, all they can do is show up and win, right? So it's it's funny, you know. There's just all this, but like you said, I'm I'm with you. I like watch that game, and I was like, Oklahoma belongs in this game, absolutely.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't. I mean, there's been games, uh, bowl games, I've walked away humiliated to be an Oklahoma fan. This is not one of them. You know what no. I mean? This is one where I was like, hey, I buried the team down 14 in Tennessee. They came back. I buried the team when they lost to Texas. They didn't lose again until the number one undefeated team in basically a road game in Miami. I mean, that was that game was like 90% Clemson people. Right. Um, and uh, they led at halftime. I mean, they, uh, you know, I don't know. But, and then right away you go to Twitter and it's like, well, of course Oklahoma shouldn't have been in. This team should have, or, you know, this right. uh, team should have, or whatever. And that was sort of a tough matchup for OU too. I th- I think they would have had a better shot at Alabama. Um. Alabama maybe was a little bit better than I thought they were. Watching them play in the playoff, uh, like going in, I was kind of like, "Come on, stay at three and get Alabama in Texas. That'd be great for them." And I'm sure that would have been a situation where it would have been a road game for Alabama. Now Alabama m- maybe, uh, maybe would have beat us as well. I don't know, but I think just matchup wise, when you get a running quarterback out there, that kind of takes Striker off the field a little bit more than, um, than he, you know uh, the quarterback for. For Alabama, he's not running anywhere, so, I mean, Stryker would have been on every down, and, I don't know, maybe it would have been better, maybe not, but, anyway. I think, like,
4: the Stoops regime, by the way, you know, all these colleges, there's certain college coaches that just produce amazing performances at a very specific positions. and for Stoops, I would say, like, it's, like, linebackers who have crazy athleticism, like Stryker. Yeah. Um... Quarterbacks who who the hell is this guy? Quarterbacks that turn into all world quarterbacks,
1: right? Josh uh, James, hello, uh, hello, Jason, Jason White. White,
4: yeah, huge, Josh yeah. Heupel, and Baker Mayfield, of course. And then receivers who wind up catching dozens and dozens of passes and then run like a five point oh forty at the NFL Combine. That's, right, like, those Malcolm are stupid. Right? right?
1: Malcolm <laughs> Kelly, and Malcolm Kelly was on this podcast, and it's interesting. I had, really? him on. yeah, and I had him on because one, he's one of my favorite Sooners of all time, and two. The Malcolm Kelly rap is the coolest thing to ever happen in a college football locker room. <laughs> um, and uh, and it was really cool, too, because at the end, I played it for him. And like he's laughing at some of the lines. And then he went through and talked about what some of the references were. It was really fun. But what was really interesting to about talking to him when I was being serious was talking about the weird thing that happened on his pro day. Because he, if you remember, kind of bailed on them in the bowl game. He played like one play or two and then was like, nah, I can't go anymore. And then, yeah. and then he didn't go to the combine and he didn't go to the OU pro day. And then he had his own pro day. And he says that they told him he was going to run in a different spot. And he showed up the next day and they had it set up somewhere else. And then he kind of reacted poorly to that, and that really hurt his draft stock more than what he actually ran did because I don't think people expected him to come out and run a 4-3. And then the other really interesting thing he said on the show was talking about basically getting a career-ending injury and a non-contact play on that horrible field in Washington. And I kind of expected him to really go off on that field, and instead he went more off on the training staff for the Redskins And how bad they were and how focused on the Redskins they were and not on him. And how anytime (laughs) he speaks to a player, he tells them, you know, hey, uh, remember those doctors work for them. And and that was where he really was a little bit more upset. So he was an interesting interesting get because I think I caught him at a somewhat honest time where he was removed for it enough that he dropped his guard a bit and he – I sent I sent some of the quotes to some places and no one picked up on it. And I was kind of surprised, but yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, he oh, was we're, we're to that. Yeah, he was really interesting, and and uh, that rap. I mean, it doesn't get cooler than that rap. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just the coolest thing. So, but um, yeah, no, I think you're right about all those things about the OU players. And man, they have a they have really tough injury history in the pros too. I mean, so many of the Oklahoma pros just can never stay healthy in the NFL. I mean, whether it's Ryan Broyles, uh, yeah, you know, who had unfortunately had a couple of knee injuries in college anyway. You that know, guy was oh, amazing in college, oh, it was just amazing. Place. Money. I think Sterling Shepard maybe can break the break the mold. He's not a traditional NFL receiver, but if he gets in the right system in the NFL, where he can play the slot pretty much exclusively and Uh, In a you know a real passing up tempo offense, he could be really good. He's just a really good competitor. He's kind of like, like I'm sure like Derek Johnson, like as like a non-Texas guy. I'm sure you look at a guy like that and you're like, man, I'm so glad he played at Texas and he represents our university. He's like such a good dude, and like everything about him is just so likable. Like Sterling Shepard is like that way for an OU fan. I think. Yeah, and I think
4: the NFL is advanced enough that they would know more what to do with him. Kind of, Mark Clayton was that kind of that guy too, right? Way back when. Right. Yeah. So, but like now, the NFL knows what to do with guys like that. Yeah, you know, Clayton a got more stuck in Chicago or
1: wherever it was. Or I don't remember somewhere where they just. Baltimore wasn't it? Baltimore, that's right. Yeah, it's a first-round pick of Baltimore. I was thinking of Bradley from that team. He went to Chicago. He was the one who fumbled in the USC game and totally changed that game. People, forget, <laughs> people forget. Yeah, OU got blown off the field, but they also had a seven-nothing lead, a stop and we're about to get the ball back at, like, the 45, and he fumbled. And That
4: happens in college football. Yeah. There's it, a little miscue or mm-hmm. an injury or something, and it leads to, like, a 40-point run. that's don't what it was. Yeah, that's what it
1: run. was. They got almost all those points, like, after that fumble and t- up to halftime. Not really, Last nothing football. happened Weared in the second way. half, yeah. But it sounds like I'm trying to just, I mean, I was, they got blown That was one of the nights I was embarrassed, you know, but... Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about how you were feeling about Grantland. Were you surprised when. Because I remember there was a time, last time you were on, you know, it was like ESPN was saying we're committed to this. ESPN was doing things like featuring articles on the front of ESPN.com to make the numbers look better than when Bill was there. Uh, you're not saying this, I am. This was just my perception. Um, and then one day it was just like, Grantland's gone. And I was like, what? <laughs> that was everybody's reaction yeah was that yours too yeah
4: yeah I mean it was it's a mix of surprise and not surprise you know I mean I think it was I guess the exact timing of it was pretty was pretty was pretty crazy and pretty just like wait what today's the day you know that we're done but you know I, I think I think I don't know about everybody else I didn't expect it to go on forever and I think I would have been probably surprised at that point if it had even gone on another year you know uh, it, just he just pick up vibe and Bill wasn't there anymore and right you know what was your relationship kind of like, like you know him? I mean the, the other question I think I was asking myself which was you know what's is Grantland going to be a place we want to work in like six months you know right. is it is it going to be the same as cool as it was for that you know amazing four year run or is it going to be you know it's just something that's just kind of hanging out there in name only
1: did you like uh, the MTV guy did you get to know him like what was it like? I can't think of his name, the guy who took over. For Chris Bill. Conley. Chris Conley, I didn't yeah. really. I
4: didn't really get to know him that Never much. We had him, a couple yeah. of interactions, you know, but it was just, I was 3,000 miles away. and So I didn't really, I can't say that I really know him that much or, or got to know many of his decisions. Got what I was thinking, I should say.
1: What's your relationship with Bill like? Great.
4: Yeah. Always great. And he was, he was a great editor and he was, you know, an editor. He was a player's coach. That's the best way you can describe him. Yeah. He just saw like a writer, and and uh, he, you know, was so he just he just didn't he didn't think like another. He thought like a writer, and he really, you know, encouraged you to to just kill it, you know. And I don't know, there's not there's not very many places that give writers that much leeway and let us have that much fun uh, than that, and I don't think there ever will be.
1: Yeah, and you know, like we've had a bunch of Grantland people on, and you know. I'd always say to them like, "Oh, I love having the Grantland people; they're so great." And everyone would say, "Yeah, we have this no assholes policy," and that was really the culture there, you know. And as an outsider, as someone who is an independent small podcast, uh, not necessarily anything anyone needs to do, um, everyone but one person was nice to me, you know. Like, and that's me reaching out to. Uh, there's probably at least ten Grantland writers on, and probably ten more that we're very polite and saying they just couldn't or we couldn't work it out or whatever. And right. I mean, there isn't a, a website out there that there hasn't been at least one person who's not been nice or just completely ignored me, which I put on the same level as not being nice because <laughs> I think there's, yeah. I, I could and never I, justify not just saying no, thank you. Or I'm sorry. I can't like, that's amazing to me, but
4: right. And it, and, you know, it's, and it is remarkable in the media because there are just, there's just a lot of raging assholes in the media. And they that, really are, yeah, right? yeah, you, right? Right? Yeah. you know, and yeah. work yeah. everywhere. And, and sometimes that's just the nature of the business, you know. Someone is so ambitious. It's kind of like a football player, you know, that works themselves into that kind of frenzy, and that's like the only way they can go out and dominate is to go out, and, you know, is to kind of put themselves in a state, you know, when they walk on the field. There are reporters, magazine writers, newspaper reporters, whatever, that the only way they they can get there is to be like that. And, you know, and they do they do great work, but they're not always wonderful to be around or to interact with, you know and yeah grantland had exactly zero of those people which is which is pretty remarkable yeah and it definitely was definitely was by design
1: now i know you're getting ready to figure out what your next thing is going to be and we'll talk about that next time you're on but when you're out there looking do you have to kind of remind yourself that man grantland might have been a once in a lifetime thing like like how has it changed just your perception of trying to figure out what's next like
4: yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I think I knew it. I think the good news is I knew it while Grantland was happening.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: And there was every time I was, you know, in the middle of a rewrite or it was four in the morning and I was still working on something and I was tired and mad or whatever. I kept thinking, you know, I'd always think, don't, you know, this is this is, this is is so much fun compared to what the alternative is. So just remember how lucky you are, you know, and I'd go get another cup of coffee and uh, get over myself.
0: Right. But,
4: um I think with, uh, so I, so I think I knew that, you know, I think it's just funny too. I mean, I think with Grantland, like, you know, there's just a lot of freedom, to just kind of just do whatever you wanted, you know, provided you were doing it at a really, really high level,
1: especially your role. Yeah. Well, not having a specific beat or whatever. Yeah. It's
4: just like, it was so much fun to, so then you start after myself, oh wait, I have to pitch something, you know, (laughs) and just say, it can just be the one line. Hey, I'm going to do this. Sound good. Right. Sounds (laughs) good. Right. Um, but, uh, so, you know, there's a little bit of an adjustment period and stuff like that, but we shall, we shall move on. That's all we can do.
1: You know, I have like, in my life, like I've had like a doctor or something and they'll move on. It's like, well, I always want to know where that doctor is. Or I have like a, uh, even like a boss, like, oh, I always want to know where that guy is. Are you always going to like, want to know where Bill is and what Bill's doing? Like, is the idea of maybe being with him again someday, like, is that something that will always be in the back of your mind? Like, as you would like that?
4: Yeah, though, I think, I think, you know, you can't, you know, I don't think, I don't know that you can, you know, things, things are different and, you know, thing, you can't necessarily recap, I don't think about like recapturing it in the same way, you know, I think about the so whatever happens from here on will be different, you know, and that'll be, that'll be good, you know, I don't like, uh. I don't like uh movies that take my nostalgia and, and try to pedal it back to me or try to recreate it, you know. That was that was what it was and it was fantastic and the next thing whatever it is will necessarily be different. Right. And the only way to make it to make it great is to make it original and different and you know and 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 new and not try to just recapture the magic. You know, I think that's just Great. I don't think of Grantland as being, you know, two thousand eleven, two thousand fifteen, and that's where it will be, you know, and and that's great. And whatever happens next will be its own uh, unique snowflake.
1: I remember my brothers and I. We went to see Anchorman two, and we were we were walking <laughs> out after, and we were like, "Oh, that sucked." And I, I think I, I said to my brother, "I was like, you know, what was really funny though, the new bits, like they had like five or six really great new bits when they tried to do." the stuff that was in number one, like a, almost like a greatest hits type of thing, that is right. what sucked about it. You know, like yeah. trying to redo stuff from Anchorman 1, like the fight or whatever, that sucked. When they, they did this long like bit about smoking crack, I was laughing my ass off. Like,
4: <laughs> You know, because... I had that feeling with the Star Wars movie the other day. Okay. Which I like You know, which yeah. I was totally fine with. But what I liked most about it was new stuff you know yeah I didn't I didn't need Death Star 3.0 I didn't I guess spoilers if anybody in the world hasn't seen that yeah, movie which I doubt passed, we're, that,
1: yeah,
4: we're okay right yeah, uh, yeah. you know I didn't need you know tons of references to the old movie or you know the kind of similar plot of the old movie or another desert planet that wasn't quite Tatooine but was something like Tatooine um, those are the parts that I was watching and I'm like I did, I've been there I've been to Tatooine I'm good with that you know next adventure new adventure uh, don't don't don't. I don't like. Um, you know, we're in this kind of weird reboot era of the movies, <laughs> where everything gets rebooted, right? Movies have always rebooted, but we're. I guess we're rebooting my particular childhood at this point in history.
1: Right, like so it's a little bit weird. Like what the hell?
4: Yeah, and things are being rebooted very very quickly.
1: Mm-hmm. So.
4: Yeah, so I'm feeling that. So I'm just, I just feel like uh, maybe it's just me. But I'm just, I just rage against this. I don't like this. I don't want to be, I don't want to be rebooted. (laughs) I want to be, I want new stuff. I want uh, new, new movies. And you know, there's no, there are no more movies called Star Wars. That's okay. You know, that's 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 fine with me. It would never diminish the 1977, 80, and even 83 to to have something else, you know, not to have anything else. I they'll always be there for me. I'm cool with
1: that. It's almost like with the Guns N' Roses thing, too. Like, I don't know if you're a fan <laughs> or not, but, like, I was a, you know, I was a huge Guns N' Roses fan. I still am. And I liked uh, I liked Chinese Democracy for what it was. I knew it wasn't a Guns N' Roses CD. But, like, Axel Rose, he wrote a lot of the songs on User Illusion 1 and 2 and Appetite to some degree. So I know that guy can write good songs, and I think he wrote a few on this album, and I know a lot of people are like, oh, when they play this summer, like, I hope they don't do any of that. I, I hope they do. I'd love to hear Slash's interpretation of some of the parts, um, and Duff's interpretation of some of the parts on that, but um, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's funny, isn't it? Because it's like what we're trying to, what we try, what we really want to recapture, if you read the
4: Star Wars review you saw some of this, is the sensations of... You know that of when you first saw this stuff, right, or when you first discovered it, whether it was the album or the movie or whatever. And those are the hardest things. I find that when you when you get to the new thing, the band getting back together, or the rebooted movie or whatever, you have you have little tingles of that, you know. And then it really fades very very quickly, and then you're really interested in is the new thing good or not, right?
1: Does it stand on its own? And that's really hard in music now, especially because the business of making new music is so weak, but the but the business of going out and touring is very strong especially relative to the other so you'll have bands who will just tour and tour and tour but there might not be new music might not be a thing in that one because so many people a for whatever reason they don't want to hear new music they just want to hear the songs they love play and the hits. Yeah, play the hits and then you know a lot of uh, bands just don't want to take the time to uh, write the albums or the new music because no one will buy them anyway. So right, right, but, you know which, and I'm a huge Pearl Jam guy. I mean, I've been to 78 Pearl Jam shows, and there's a tour announced today, and I'm thinking, how many can I do, and where can I go? And wow, they're playing Wrigley and Fenway. I got to do one, you know, just whatever. Everything that goes through my head on this day, um, they all, you know, but the, this is also going to be a time where they're playing shows not in support of anything. And it's okay because with them, everything they've ever done is in play. You know, they're not a play the hits band. People who go for that, you know, we call them T and Vers. people who only want to hear songs from 10 and verses, they'll Mm -hmm. often leave upset. But generally speaking, their reputation is what it is. And people know they're going to play 30 songs and they could be anything. Um, So it's not as bad of a thing with them. But I mean, I'm a huge fan of Rush, right? But. I would never go to more than one a tour because it's the same thing every night. There's no reason to go to two, you know. And so many bands are like that. It's like, well,
4: yeah. So many bands band is a little different, right? Because you literally, I mean, unless somebody croaked, right? You have the, you do have the people on stage, and you know it is the same people playing the songs, right?
1: Right. And for you know, Pearl Jam, I mean, they've they've had a bunch of drummers, but the drummer hasn't changed since 1998. And it's the guy really they always wanted as drummer, and the other four, the four guys standing in front of the drummer. I mean, those are the four guys that have always stood there together, you know. So. Yeah, and
4: they may sound a little different, the voice is a little worse, and everything else. They don't get around the stage like they did, but yeah, it's it's a little different than a than a reboot, right? It's not like we have a bunch of different people standing in, you know. It's not like a cover band, right? Which is kind of what. Or like the what Kiss Bacon's was, right?
1: Like Kiss, I know the the dream of uh, Gene Simmons is. To, for Kiss to be like McDonald's and like to launch franchises of the band Kiss, like where he would license people to go play under the name Kiss that aren't those guys, just guys in that paint and stuff. And that
4: didn't the comedian Gallagher try that with a Gallagher too.
1: Remember that? Did he do that? Yeah. Yeah. He had his
4: like brother or cousin or brother-in-law or something. There's kind of
1: just tra- try to go out and smash. He did like small
4: venues and he was Gallagher. I think Roman, I want to say Roman numeral too. Maybe he was number, number two.
1: Yeah.
4: <laughs> And uh are just kind of doing the act, smashing the watermelon.
1: <laughs> it's kind of a funny idea. Yeah, that's that's unbelievable. I'm I'm yeah. shocked that didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> like strike breaker football
4: back in the remember when the NFL used to go on strike and we'd got, you know, the the best players of the uh <laughs> the South the Southeast Conference third team circa nineteen eighty six
1: Yeah, Sean Payton played against the Saints in the eighty seven strike for the Bears.
4: <laughs> Cowboys had this guy named Kevin Sweeney. And that was when people really hated uh, Danny White. So there was a chant called White's a Weenie. We want Sweeney. Uh, Kevin Sweeney mm.
1: did out <laughs> to be a good quarterback.
4: Needless to say.
1: That was my first season as a Saints fan. That was the year, that 87 season. So what happened was growing up in Buffalo, okay, like from age one, I was a huge hockey fan. And I learned how to read – Because I heard from my grandpa that there was stuff in the newspaper about the Sabres. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to read that. And I remember – so like I was I think four or five and it was a Sunday afternoon in September and the Sabres were playing a preseason game. And I was so excited and the Bills were also playing the Dolphins that day. And I was like jettisoned to my room to listen to the Sabres on AM radio because everyone wanted to watch this Bills game, and I could not understand. And I was like, <laughs> who cares? And this is a huge like Bills, like, Bills game against Miami in 1986. Uh, yeah. One of their wide receivers broke his leg. Jerry Butler, I think was his name, broke his leg that day. Um, and uh, so I was just never going to be a Bills fan from that day forward because I didn't understand why anyone would want to watch a regular season Bills game instead of a completely meaningless preseason Sabres game against the Minnesota North Stars in September. Um, And then the next time my dad could talk me into sitting down and watching football was the playoffs of that 87 strike year. And the game was the saints and the Vikings. And he sat me down and said, Hey, this team here, they've never been in the playoffs ever before. It's the first time they've ever been good. Um, I think he told me about people wearing bags on their heads and all that. And they, Scored the first touchdown in the Superdome, and they looked amazing, and it was awesome. And they lost forty-eight to ten, I think. And I was crushed. And I said, "This, is, these are my guys. You know, this is my team forever." So, and I've right. never been a fan ever since. So, and that that we was the season. To the team, you know, yeah. That was the season. And they were in that game because the 49ers had more people cross over earlier, and were able to win the division by like one game because of it. So the Saints, like, didn't get a bye, and they lost to the Vikings. And uh, 49ers probably the best team anyway, which is always that the Saints in that era's problem is they were just not quite as good as the 49ers.
4: And, yeah. And in the it's, same it's division. An, it's an interesting escape from the Bills to the Saints because there was a time when you could have argued that that was a really terrible trade. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, in the late 80s, early 90s. And Now, you know, got to be feeling pretty good about that.
1: Well, you know, in that 30-for-30 30 30, uh, that they just did about the Bills, there is a scene where – and I remember this very vividly. The Saints and Bills played in 92. And up until the Super Bowl season, that was the best record Saints season. They went 12-4 and 4 in 92. One of their losses was to the Bills. And the Bills were dogs that was in the Superdome. And I watched that game with like my dad and all his friends. And that was like the worst day of my life because I probably was talking a little bit of shit. And <laughs> – thought for sure my team was going to win, and they didn't, and they showed a scene in the Four Falls of Buffalo where Jim Kelly comes out and was like, who thought we'd win that game? You know, like, raise your hand. And I was talking to my brother about that, who was only one at the time, and I was like, dude, that was an awful day for me. And he's like, yeah, I bet. And they've, like, they've lost to him one other time since. So luckily, I've had a lot of luck with them head-to-head, because it's a, it's a nightmare for me. Every time I know it's coming, especially when the Saints are better, because people would just love to be able to say to me, we suck and we were able to beat you. So right. it's always been nervous for me. Like a couple of years ago when they played in the Superdome, it was right around Halloween. So a ton of people from Buffalo went to that game just to go, you know, party in New Orleans, see a Bills game sure. around Halloween. And I like they played it. The Bills played a good first quarter and I was like sweating. And then it was one of those days where Breeze just got going and it was like, score, 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 game over. I was like, oh, thank God. So. is it
4: weird, weird being a hometown non-believer?
1: It is really but- weird. And and one reason is because a lot of people, especially now, think I'm a Drew Brees Saints fan. And that, you know, I just, oh, the Bills haven't made the playoffs, and so you just got on this bandwagon with this team. You no, know, they don't realize that I got my license. My birthday was in September. I got my license the first week in November so that I could go to Bars that would let me in to watch the rest of a three and thirteen Saints season in nineteen ninety six. Like Sweet.
4: and I, Are you a are you a Bobby abear Saints fan then or are you a John Fourcade fan? Yeah, well John Fourcade
1: so John Fourcade was the quarterback the first time go. I've ever seen them play in Buffalo and he won the game in nineteen eighty nine in the snow. And my dad and his friends threw snowballs at me. But um <laughs> no, I mean I love Bobby Abe. I love John Fourcade because of that day, he never really did much else for the Saints, but he, did, he was able to come in Buffalo in a snowstorm in December and win for me. So I owe did him you,
4: is it, Am I misremembering the story? The classic story when the Superdome team shop was robbed and they left all the Bobby Bear jerseys like late in Hebert's career? Yeah, because yeah, he held out a whole year. Is that true?
1: Yeah, he held out a whole year, and he took a lot of heat, and then he went to Atlanta.
4: Right, yeah. because they just left them all. They are yeah. like, we don't want this.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> and now he's like a hero. He's like the talk radio guy. He's like the Homer We're, talk radio guy in New Orleans.
4: He's a perfect, perfect ex-player to be a talk radio guy. Yeah, and he got, kicked,
1: sure. he got kicked out of the booth a couple of years ago. He would watch in the press box, but he would cheer. And they had to <laughs> tell him he can't watch from there anymore.
4: <laughs> he is to to New Orleans with Bernie Kosar, who keeps popping up on the news. Right, yeah, with
1: Cleveland, yes, yeah, yes, exactly I'm the i so fascinated by Bernie. Yeah, exactly the same. He had that thing
4: where he was trying to reach out to Johnny Manziel the other day, and Manziel wouldn't return his texts or his calls or something.
1: That's weird. Mansell's weird. And it was that's like, <laughs> so strange. Yeah, Mansell I don't understand. Uh do hey, you do you, um watching the games, like not having a deadline or not having anything you need to write about? What has that been like? Like especially with the NFL playoffs, let's just use that or the college playoffs, like how's it been different watching these games and and not are you still looking for what your story would be or have you just kinda enjoyed it as a fan a little bit more?
4: Yeah, the latter, I think. And it's been really—it's a really nice kind of recharge the batteries moment, yeah. you know, where I can watch the broadcast, especially since I'm interested in the media, you know, and read, mm-hmm. read stuff and, you know, put together little files of stuff that I want to write about someday and not have to worry about writing it tomorrow. Right. Um, it's been really nice. And it's really fun to flip around that, uh, you know, through all the ESPN broadcasts of the uh, college football national championship game.
1: that was really cool. I really liked the one station with the coaches. I thought that was great.
4: I thought it was, too. I was telling somebody that it was like a really weird mix. Maybe I tweeted this. Like a really weird mix of um, like really, really hyper nerdy X's and O's talk. And then the coach would just go to the total cliche, you know. Right. I think that was a real momentum shift. Couldn't help himself. No kidding, you know. Uh Uh-huh. And it was funny, like, that's the way coaches talk, right? Like, they have those two sides of their brain, you know? There's, like, the way they understand football, and then there's the way they think they have to explain football to us lay people, right? And that's when you get those horrible press conferences, you know, where they're just like, you want them just, like, just tell us what actually happened, right? And they just, you know, talk about momentum and all this other cliché stuff. But it was really funny. Will Buschamp was really, really articulate on that thing, by the way. Yeah, he was really good. Somebody tweeted, like, no wonder he gets jobs so quickly. Yeah. And you know you realize it, right? Because like that guy can really talk, and, and it's really compelling to listen to in that setting.
1: Yeah, I see. I, I noticed you tweeted about uh, Phil Sims today and some of his wonkiness. <laughs> it's the it's the weirdest thing. Like what ever. is with him? I feel like he's. I feel
4: like he's getting both talked about this too, but I feel like he's getting like worse by the day. Let well, me tell
1: you a story about that. Okay, Phil Sims and, and Nance called the Saints Super Bowl. All right, and. I was edgy that day, okay? But they killed it. They did a great job. And, like, on the key play where Tracy Porter intercepted Manning, right yeah. before the play, Sim says, last week the Jets, they cut blitz in. It cost them. If I was the Saints, I wouldn't blitz. Saints blitz that play, and they picked the ball off. And, and the first thing Sim says is, like, well, I told them they wouldn't blitz. I was wrong. Like, oh, just he called a great game. Couple A yeah. couple years later, I'm, I was really sick, right? and I was in the hospital from like January 28th or something until March. And wow. so that meant the super, like the surreal the Super Bowl where the lights went out, that one is what I'm mm-hmm. watching in my room. It's me and like an 80-ish year old guy who is on the brink of dementia. So he's like kind of coming in and out at one point during the game, he like tried to escape and they had to, like, come in and tie him down. Then, like, another part of the game, where we're, like, sharing, like, pizza. Like, it's just a <laughs> surreal day. And I feel like that was the day where I thought either Phil Sims was drunk that day or I had too much morphine. I didn't know which one it was, but I was sure it was one of them. Like, because I, I just couldn't believe that this guy that's been calling names for this long was making – this many mistakes and saying this many weird things, and it feels like since then it's just never stopped. Like he just—it feels <laughs> like he regresses every day, and more and more. I think it wasn't the morphine, and that it was just him having the first day of the rest of his career, and it was no. Yeah,
4: bad. you were totally lucid as it turned out. <laughs> yeah, the uh, it's really funny because I feel there's this kind of just what I was saying about coaches. Like there's this there's this sort of split between announcers. You get guys like Chris Collinsworth who really, who say, all right, football is really complex, and I'm going to do my best to, you know, explain that complexity to you, right? And I think John Madden used to do a version of that that was buried under a lot of booms and whaps and, right. you know, 300 pounds. Look right. at that 300-pound guy kind of stuff. Like, they really tried to explain the game uh, to, to people like, like me who don't who don't always understand what's going on. And then I think there's this other kind of crop of of color guy, which is really most of the rest of them, that try to explain it in the way that ex-jocks have been explaining it for like 40 years on TV, which is, you know, great throw by so-and-so, man, what a throw, you know, which is kind of like, you basically just assume that people have no appetite for X's and O's at all, they don't understand anything, they want like the basically the simplest possible explanation, you know, watching that Bronco Pittsburgh game, there's just so much of that, you know, What a great play, you know, boy, Ben Roethlisberger throws it right on the money, you know, all this stuff, and you're like, this isn't telling me anything (laughs) about, like, yeah, I know he threw it on the money. What happened, you know? What's he doing, you know? And it's like, these quarterbacks played so much football, and they understand so much about the game, they've got to give it, they've got to know more than they're letting on. And I don't know if they've been told that they can only go so deep, or they think that if they get... You know they go the other way; they'll get too much in the weeds. But it's really weird, and it's like the split. It's really the split between gray color guys and
1: just color guys. Here, check this out. This is what I was talking about. Good, this is good Sims. Oh, that video—it's cut off. Hold on, let me try to find a better one. <laughs> this is the way This is classic Sims from from, is them, like from the I, I remember, like Sims being like a good analyst. Ugh. See, this is what happens <laughs> when you app. try to go off the cuff on YouTube. Every video is like uh
4: The one I transcribed the other day was like really weird poetry where he just ended by saying the wind period.
1: Yes, I saw, I saw that What was that? Yeah, I don't know. I'll try one more and if we got it we'll go with it and if not we'll just move on. The uh yeah.
4: It was really, really strange. And and I by the way, that is like the toughest job ever. And I do I do feel bad, you know, when people all of us vultures are sitting there on Twitter. Just waiting for one of those guys to save, to make a mistake, right? Which of course none of us would be able to get like, like those things. Whenever I've had sat in a TV truck a couple months ago with an ESPN college game, I'm just in, it's insane how fast everything moves.
1: What do you think and is it, your best team? What what team like Super Bowl Fifty? Ideally, who do you want calling that game?
4: E Michael's and College yeah, comes, no doubt. yeah,
1: they're the best by far right now. They're out on top. Yeah, um, I, I think, and I I share. Those, I like those... Buck and Aikman a lot too, because Aikman, yeah, a I do too, better, I do yeah. too.
4: I think those and I, you know, I'd share in the Iron Eagle craze that's sweeping America yeah, right the now. the problem
1: is Fouts. I mean, you got to yeah. pair him with someone yes, else. Exactly. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Eagles. It's is sort of great. like
4: it's yeah. sort of like the world's greatest point guard, and then you know,
1: mm-hmm.
4: he, he he dishes the ball, and the guy, the guy blows the dunk, right?
1: Yeah, we got. But the, yeah,
4: once he gets somebody else, it'll be he'll be he'll be really he'll be even better.
1: Buck came on the show a uh, few few weeks ago. He such a nice guy. Did he really? Yeah, he he was so nice to me. Like, there was no reason for him to come on. He didn't have to. I tried for months through Fox PR. It was wasn't gonna happen. So I sent him one tweet and said, "Hey, love to have you." I've been trying to set up with uh, Fox PR, and he wrote back like an hour later and was like, "Sure, when?" And what a match! You know, next thing I know, we're DMing, and next thing I know, we're doing thirty-five minutes, and he answered everything. Uh, I asked him about. He called the NFC Championship game the Saints one. I asked him about that. He told this cool story about having Kate Hudson in the booth with him that day, who's just a friend wow. of his or whatever. And my brother said to me, I think it was "My brother is like, he went up like thirty notches in my book because I just didn't. <laughs> I just thought he was the nepotism guy, you know, and that I think people have that perception of him. And I don't know if you've seen his show at all. And this is what prompted me really to reach out. He has this direct TV show." Which are these, yeah, I've just heard clips. It's so good. And, uh like, I went in with no expectations, hadn't talked to him yet. The first one was Jeter, and it was like a – I'm a huge Stern guy. I love Howard Stern. I've been a fan forever. And he does these great celebrity interviews, and it felt like that, but with but sports, which you don't get with Stern because he doesn't know anything about sports. That's a huge compliment. Yeah, and it was just like that. and um yeah, no, I like Bucky. I've always thought he was great at baseball. I was a little bit on the fence football wise, but I think him and Buck have really uh, come a long way as a team. Or yeah, Ikeman and Buck have come a long way as a team. I like them a lot. Who do you like in the that's games the, this week?
4: Who do I like this week? I'm I just not gonna bet against Patriots. I would never yeah. do that. Yeah. I just don't think that's a good idea. That's like betting against Bam in a national title game. You and,
1: know, and Denver's not gonna beat them with five field goals. They're gonna no, to, yeah. That,
4: the Carolina thing really feels like it's going to happen. It really feels like a team. It feels like, yeah, team of destiny is a terrible phrase, but it feels like a team of destiny. It really does. It I think like that this is,
1: that this loss is, is so huge for them.
4: Yeah, because they and were it feels, playing... You know, and it really, it really, it really doesn't. It doesn't feel that different than the. By the way, than the Cam national title team. You know, really athletic defensive lineman and like and and a quarterback with a bunch of weapons you've kind of never heard of. You know, until Michael Dyer went nuts in the national title game, right? Right. Yeah. You know, it felt. It just feels like a really. It feel. It feels like that Auburn team to me. Um, you know, I don't know if they I don't know if they beat the Patriots or not. I think Ron Rivera really scares me as a coach, especially what what happened the second half the other day. And yeah. I just don't. I don't know. So I don't know. Well, can you know, called call you know, him out it.
1: for being butt tight. Like I think that Would was say? Cam called him out. The coaches in general said they were butt tight. I think that's the exact <laughs> word he used. Yeah. Yeah.
4: I don't think, yeah. If he, I think if you ask Cam, he'd be like, let's not hand the ball off. Let's just go try to score. You yeah, know? let's just
1: keep doing our thing. No, I think Flip. that yeah. that loss for them, because they they should have lost to the Saints in the Super Bowl. If the Saints had, like, the 27th best defense in the league, they would have lost that day. They probably should have lost that game to the Giants. They were just, they weren't playing well. And that loss, and it, it happened in the Saints season, because the Saints started 13-0. and and I remember it got to a point where just every week it wasn't just a game against whoever you're playing anymore. It was like you're getting this team's best shot. Like we played a game against the Redskins. The Redskins are 4-9 going into this game. And you would have thought we were playing the 85 Bears or something. It's like, oh, my God, everyone wants to beat you so bad. And when the Saints <laughs> finally lost, it just totally re- like just refocused the team. And like it wasn't about – something that doesn't matter going undefeated, which means nothing, ask the Patriots, right? Like, Yeah, exactly. It means nothing, and I think that that was so big. And Roman Harper, who plays for Carolina now and played for that Saints team, he said basically what I have too, and I think he's been a great influence in that room. And as much as I'm not a fan of them, uh, I think that they're going to be a tough out. Like, I, I don't know if they'll beat the Patriots either, but I'd be surprised if they lost at home this week. I isn't think it's weird how
4: mystical that 16-0 thing is? We get, oh. Like, everybody gets so excited about that every year.
1: And it, it's a thing, man. If you watch a team, like, if you really watch a team and you watch them every week, you feel it. You feel when it shifts. It's like when you're, like, around 6 or 7-0, and oh, it just, everything just changes. And every week it's, like, this dogfight. And it's, like, it, it's, the Saints eventually lost to Tampa at home because Garrett Hartley... Who ended up being a, a star in the playoffs that year. He missed a very, very, very easy field goal, and mm-hmm. uh, they lost uh, in overtime because of it. Forget about Garrett Hartley. Yeah, and um, yeah, oh, you guy too. Um, and there you uh, go. And um, I just remember, like, I don't know. You know, that was the second loss. The first loss is to Dallas. First yes, loss to Dallas on well. Saturday night. Yeah, it was a, like the first week of December, and it's one of these things Great, where crazy Dallas crazy can game. never lose in December or can't win in December, and Saints are undefeated. I remember just like after the game just being like, okay, Dallas needed that game way more than we did. That undefeated stuff is done. Let's get ready to make sure we don't waste this season. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and luckily we didn't. <laughs> and it's funny, too, because we had lost the last three games. The third one we lost on purpose. Nobody played. And the very first play from scrimmage in the playoff game was a Arizona 80-yard Tim Hightower touchdown run. <laughs> and I just said, oh, my God, we're going to waste this. And then we ended up winning that game like 45-16 or something and winning right. a great NFC Championship game and then beating Indy. I mean, they beat Favre, Manning, and Warner to win that. So I'm proud of that.
4: Yeah. I forget. By the way, I was reminded by everybody who, you know, when Minnesota had the –
1: Right. Square Walsh horror show yeah, about the, the fire. barf
4: thing. I'd kind of forgotten you know, about just crazy. What a heartbreaking loss
1: that was. Yeah, and Paul right. Allen screaming, this is for the Super Bowl! Is this is Detroit. <laughs> Do you remember that call? Yeah, vaguely. I wonder if I can find that. It was a disaster last time. I tried to find something on not Inter- Well, let's see if I can find that one. Then... I, have for- I forgot just how nuts that was. And it was all set up by a too many men in the huddle penalty. That's right. And they they had like a third and five, and they got a too many men in the huddle penalty, and it backed them up to where he probably wasn't going to make the kick. And then Favre had room to run on the play, and he threw across his body in the middle, and Tracy Porter picked it off. And I think I got the call here. Let's... Let's see on the volume. He
0: off. pumps. Now he fires over the middle. Intercepted. I can't believe what I'm seeing right now. It was intercepted by Tracy Porter. Near side to the 40, and John Sullivan runs him down at the 47 yard line. You've got to be kidding me. I can't believe what
2: I just saw. <laughs> Looking at that thing, he should have just held on to it, Paul. He should have. He could have easily listen, have gotten listen. five or six yards if he would have just pulled that thing down and dove
0: forward. But why do you even ponder passing? I mean, you can take a knee and try a 56-yard field goal. This is not Detroit, man. This is the Super Bowl.
4: <laughs> <laughs> this is the. Uh, I love the. Uh, by the way, the riff on the classic uh, Jack Buck. I don't believe what I just saw when right. Kirk Gibson's shot goes over the fence. Right, that was like the the monotone, <laughs> monotone version of that. <laughs> the, was awesome
1: that year. My brother was playing in the USHL for Sioux Falls uh, for the Sioux Falls, Sioux Falls Stampede. And so that that game happens, and then the, there's the week off in between the Super Bowl, and we went to watch my – I think my brother's team was like their one East Coast trip in Youngstown, Ohio. So we, we go to watch uh, his team, and his coach is a huge Vikings fan, I guess. And I, I don't know this going in, and his – I'm just – we're sitting watching the morning skate or something, me and my family, and I had a Saints jacket and hat on Whatever, and he, the coach comes over to say hi to my parents, and he looks at me and he was not over it. <laughs> and, he, and he, and he goes starts going in on the game, and my mom's like kicking me under the table, like, This is your brother's junior hockey coach, don't say anything. And then I didn't really say anything. I was like, when my brother came out of the locker room, I'm like, I hope you're not scratched or anything, but you know, the coach just came out and he was not happy. No, I heard happening. a I heard a
4: radio tribute to Alan the other day. It's kind of like the greatest homer. I mean, that he is a homer, huh? the most yeah. lovable pop po- in the most lovable pop possible sense that we'll ever have. I mean, he is really skilled at B- what he does.
1: Buffalo is known for that too, because we had Van Miller, who was a really skilled old school oh, yeah. radio what? homer, and then we also have Rick Generat, who's finishing up his career as one of the all time homers on the hockey yeah. side. Yeah,
4: I love it when they borrow the college football playbook of homer.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Very I was much listening homeless. to the USC
4: broadcast of the whatever what bowl game did they lose? The Holiday Bowl this year, and out yeah. uh, here in LA, and like driving around, and the guy kept kept referring to US, USC has three times out left. He kept saying times out.
1: i <laughs> that amazing. That's yeah. It's you know what your team should have a homer guy on radio like that. They should have that. I, I feel like. Oh, absolutely. Like you do not need a balanced call of the game on radio in your hometown. It makes no sense to me. You should but you have to have a
4: professional homer, right? Professional like the, the, homer. Evolve yeah. into screaming and you know, that that doesn't work for me. Like I want a really, really good I want a guy who I trust, but who's a really, really good play by playman on top of it. Seems
1: you know? like Auburn has a great one, because we were all exposed to it with that field goal. Oh, yeah. Man, you know, yeah, that guy seemed like he was good. Yeah. And everyone definitely. loves let's see, let's I I you know all the Saints fans, they love Jim Henderson. I don't know him. Let's let's hear his this is his call, the Tracy Porter pick. Let's see.
4: All Third and five from the New Orleans thirty one. Two receivers to the left, Garcon to the right.
2: Manning in the shotgun puts Cali in motion. Looks in his direction.
1: I like wow. that. I like that about how he did it to Favre. Now he's done it to Manning. I like that. Was there somebody? I to tell. Was there somebody
4: screaming in the booth? No, or I think. What?
1: I think what it is is it's a it's a video that someone took in the stands oh. that doesn't have announcing with the announcing over top of it,
4: and it's scored with the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Th- Isn't it funny by the way whenever there's a great moment in your team's history you wind up associating it with the radio call that you didn't actually hear during the moment because you of course are watching TV. Right. Yeah. But because what gets replayed over and over is not the network call but the right. radio call on top of it. I know Nancy's
1: I know Nance's call by heart though. Yeah. He goes. But I
4: feel like I've heard like the Vince Young thing and like you know for me in 2005 and or 2006 and uh, right. The uh, you know like various Cowboys highlights with Brad Sham under him. I felt like I could I could I could deliver that call a lot better than I could the network call a lot of the time.
1: Nance is good. He goes picked off, gets by Manning, and it's Tracy Porter taking it all the way. Touchdown New Orleans. That's all he said. That's the whole call. That's nice, nice yeah. and clean. Picked then off. transferred
4: immediately to a master's promo.
1: And his <laughs> for just four short <laughs> No, and then it, it transferred to Sims, talking about how bad his pre-play analysis was. was <laughs> well, they sorry, about that.
4: <laughs> then we went to the master's right, promo.
1: Then we went to a master's promo. A tradition,
4: I'm like, but but let's get away from football, please. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Brian is at Curtis Beast on Twitter. I would do this all night, and I'm sure Brian would, but we have other things to do. And he's got to eat dinner probably. It's like 6 o'clock where he is. He's probably yeah. hungry, yeah. Um, and well,
4: at, I'll call you back. Then we'll do like another nine hours. Oh, you, oh, you in Texas, not How about that?
1: Ugh, ugh, that's. I like you still, so I don't. You <laughs> like me, <so laughs> we don't want to go down that. It's at Curtis Beast on Twitter. He's still doing lots of fun things there, and I'm waiting wherever you land next. You just promised me you're pitching the Cowboys fan piece we talked about last time. Yeah, I got to do that. Yeah, that does need to be written at some point. So we still need that wherever you land. And, I talked uh, to. You.
4: Among others, Daryl Johnston, cousin Sal, noted Cowboys fan. Oh yeah,
1: oh, yeah, huge. Company, and yeah.
4: Chris Harrison, the host of The Bachelor, another noted Cowboys fan for that. Oh. So that will actually, that will absolutely be done at some point. I want to solve the riddle that is Cowboy Phantom.
1: Yeah, we need that for sure. How about cousin Sal getting in the owners box this year? Huh? Huge. Wow. Huge. That's nuts.
4: Oh my God, I know he's he's living my uh, fantasy. Is I'm, that? I'm He's my my the fantasy character in my life. It's become Cousin Sal. So Is kind of that incredible. the number
1: one place you would want to watch a Cowboys game?
4: Like yeah,
1: Jones in that booth. I think I would.
4: Yeah, I think I would. I mean, I think that's one of the things where you couldn't turn off being a journalist, you know, because you would want to just go home and write up the experience, which of course would not be allowed under any circumstances. But uh, so I, I, it's one of those things. Like I don't know if I could manage being a fan in that thing. Well, by the way, I should just if I have to rank the people I'm. Living uh, living through uh cousin sound number two, Jordan Speed, I think, number one. Let's oh. just get the Dallas rankings.
1: Yeah, right Jordan there. Speed is killing. There it. We go. I love this tweet on New Year's about not wanting the year to end. Um, that was brilliant because he had such a <laughs> great year. Uh, but I think Tom Benson is very boring, pretty unlikable too. I wouldn't want to watch with him. I think I would wanna be Sean no. I'd, oh. I'd wanna be Sean Payton's juicy fruit guy. I'd just stand next <laughs> to him with the juicy fruit for a whole game. Just giving it to him, especially because, like, if we get into a big third or fourth and one, like, you know, him and Breeze, they have their talks, and it's like, you know, they basically, they say, actually, they show it good in the Saints Super Bowl video, because the Saints went for a fourth and one on the goal line that got stopped, and Peyton's like, do you love this call, or do you like the call, and Breeze's like, yeah, I like the call, he's like, but do you love it, and Breeze's like, yeah, I love it, and in retrospect, he shouldn't have loved it, because it got stuffed, but... Um, Yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I think that would be my number one place to watch a Saints game. I'd stand next to Peyton with the juicy fruit and just give him juicy fruit all day and stand there and find out what he really says every time the stupid defense has to go on the field.
4: Yeah, Benson would be bad. I think that second quarter you'd just turn him and say, "You know, man, remember when you tried to abandon New Orleans?" Yeah, the he's such a phony.
1: He's such a rich phony. Like you get a feeling he'd never say anything real to you. Like he's fighting with his family. It's like such a turnoff. Like
4: yeah, no, that's he, that's not fun.
1: Yeah, he stinks. There's like nothing likable about him.
4: I'm watching a game with Jimmy Haslam. Who wants to do that? Yeah, no, a of lot that? of
1: these guys stink. You know, now in Buffalo we have a a hero of an owner because. All he's done is buy the Sabers, save them from bankruptcy, and buy the Bills and save them from Toronto or LA or wherever they might have been. That dude's great. I mean, he's a hero here. You know, like Terry Pagula is the god of Buffalo. He's probably like the number one ranked Buffalonian. I doubt he even lives here, but he'd probably. And how how did
4: somebody compete with Ralph Wilson for pure menschhood? you wouldn't have thought that was necessarily possible, right? No, but Ralph Wilson had to die,
1: and. When he died, the family wasn't going to be able to afford to keep him here because of the taxes. Yeah, I'm and that. some guy swept in that just said, "I don't care about any of that. I'll build, drill another oil thing or whatever he does. Frack, I don't know about it. I know it's a political thing. I don't know anything about all that." But he's very rich, and he had the cash, and he swept in, and they're never leaving now. I mean, as long as he's alive. <laughs> I ought to be in
4: Buffalo.
1: Yeah, Buffalo. You wouldn't want to be here today. 14 degrees. (laughs) I ought to be in Buffalo sometime. I had to call my plow guy because it's been so windy today that even though it didn't snow, six inches of snow drifted into my driveway and we couldn't get out. So we had to call the plow guy. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Brian. Thank you. I'm going to go wipe the sweat
4: sweat off my forehead.
1: Good uh, best wishes in the next few weeks and uh, can't wait to have you back. Uh, next time when we can. Uh, Let's
4: do spring football or. Yeah, whatever. Free ball football, football or something, you know?
1: All right, bud. All right, take care. All right, I want to thank Brian Curtis for being on the show today. Book Club is kind of slowly getting going in the new year. Uh, I know that the first book is going to be a book called This Is Your Brain on Sports The Science of Underdogs. The Value of Rivalry, and What We Can Learn from the T-Shirt Canon by our good friend John Wertheim and his friend and co-author Sam Summers. Hmm. I don't know much about Sam, uh, but obviously we know John very well. Uh, And I'm waiting for our copy of this book to come. It doesn't go out. It's not available until February 2nd. Um, And John right now is at the Australian Open. I talked to him through email and he getting everything set up for the publisher. We should have a copy to give away, and I think we're going to have John and Sam on together at some point. So we'll get to that eventually. In the meantime, real quickly, I just wanted to mention, a lot of last year, towards the end of the year, we spent time talking to Ed E. Trunk and Don Jameson and oh, Jim right, Florentine. Yeah. And yesterday was the news that that metal show uh, will no longer be on VH1 Classic. Uh, here's a note from... It says from Eddie, Jim, and Don. This is on Mm eddytrunk.com. We're sorry to report that VH1 Classic will not continue to make any new episodes of that metal show. It was an incredible run of eight years, 125 episodes, and really cool specials. The global response has been amazing, and we will be eternally grateful for the support from the rock and metal fans that showed us so much love. Uh, End quote. Now, the good news is, and it's maybe a blessing in disguise. VH1 Classic is one of the trash networks in the history of networks. I mean, I think this show was like the only show they produced. Oh, really? What, what, what channel was
2: like the I Love the 80s and all that on? I mean, VH1. That
1: would, okay, regular VH1. Now, Jim Florentine was on O&J today. Okay. And he said this had nothing to do with that metal show. It had to do with Viacom, which is apparently a failing media conglomerate, and that this station, VH1 Classic, is not going to be a station. Hmm. That's why they're not producing them anymore. Now they made a deal with them; they're going to maintain the catalog, the back catalog, VH1 Classic, and Viacom. They own that. Okay. But Eddie Trunk and Don and Jim they own the name that Metal Show and any future productions of the show, so they can shop this to any network. And they talk about syndication at all? Like, I, I know in
2: sitcom, like once you hit a hundred episodes, like you're making some money for it. I mean, I, I'm yeah, sure but
1: that's a, like again that that's VH1 gone. Classic owns that. Uh, okay. You know, and I'm sure they weren't going to make a they, ton of money from VH1 Classic. Anyway, VH1 but... Classic owns those 125 episodes they've done. They own anything that goes forward. So Eddie Trunk did a Periscope yesterday saying, like, we're open to anything. And it probably wouldn't hurt to tell Mark Cuban on Twitter uh, who owns Access TV that you think that this oh, would yeah. be a great fit for our, our show.
2: That's uncensored too, isn't it, Access TV? Yeah. That's I think the, it might be.
1: The, it used to be – I think it used to just be called HDTV. TV, like right? No, all it was was girls HD. gone wild commercials and stuff. <laughs> but now it's yeah, they have programming. Yeah, right there. Cuban owns that, and that could be a great fit for it. Um, follow these guys and uh, help them if you can. That metal show is if you like rock music, it's a great vehicle for rock music to be out there in the public. And um, I think
2: Florentine is such a dark kind of comedian, like dark and like dirty. Like he's a New York i mean he's a new jersey guy but he's like not a west coast community he's an east coast oh yeah that like being on a network east coast to the core uncensored or like a netflix or something like that that might be perfect for this and they
1: mentioned, you know talk you know email people tweet people let them know you'd want us to be on there Uh, i think the anthony kumian network could be an awesome spot for them sure yeah you know i mean he's got an hd studio right in new york city it's sitting there it's video it's audio has he done
2: anything – like is there a network there yet or is it
1: – Yeah, they have five shows. I think Side Dave, oh, uh, okay. Legion of Skanks, um, the Pat Dixon Crime Report, and Gavin McGinnis. Right. Those are all the shows. Um, all right. But help these dudes out. and It was interesting because if you listen back, Jim Florentine basically said on this show last time he was on that that metal show was done. At least- right, and you actually asked – uh, and then Eddie I Trunk asked or, Eddie Trunk, yeah. and Eddie Trunk still was in downplay mode. Sure. Uh, but clearly, as Jim admitted today on Opie and Jimmy, they have known for a while that there wasn't going to be any more shows on VH1 Classic because there wasn't going to be VH1 Classic. They were wow. laying low because they were trying to negotiate with VH1 Classic to let them Go carry forward, the show right. forward, and they were able to 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 take care of that. So – Uh, Jim is Mr. Jim Florentine on Twitter. Um, Eddie is just at Eddie Trunk. Uh, I can't remember what Don Jameson is. You can look it up. And uh, tweet these guys, tell them thank you, and uh, follow their Twitters in case they need our help letting people know that we want to see this show on whatever network it might be we'd want to see this show. Real Don Jameson. Real Don Jameson. Okay, so Mr. Jim Florentine, Real Don Jameson, and Eddie Trunk. All right, we're going to take a break and come back and talk the NHL and the Buffalo Sabres with Mike Harrington.
3: All right, our next
1: guest lives right here in Buffalo, New York and is a graduate of Canisius College. He is beat writer for the Buffalo Sabres and writes the famed inside the NHL column in the Buffalo News and he's making his third appearance on the Sportscasters today. A warm welcome to Mike Harrington. What's going on, Mike?
0: Steve, it's uh, always a pleasure to be back. I'm not on the road this trip with the Sabres in Arizona and Colorado, John Vogels in that one. I'm still a uh, warming back up from the trip to uh, Winnipeg and
1: Minnesota. Well, it's funny because I I tweeted for some questions last night, and I believe one of your colleagues thought that the thing to ask you would be about the weather in Manitoba. And I said, should I go with that or ask him about the league's best catwalks? And that led me to that song, which I had never heard before, but it's called Up on the Catwalk by Simple Minds. I don't know if you could hear that.
0: I, I did hear the catwalk part, yeah, you know, it's funny, I even did inside the NHL Sunday on the arena situation in Calgary, and not yeah. because of the horrendous catwalk <laughs> we have to walk on to get into the press box, simply because the arena's become outdated, but the, it's always interesting to travel around the league, the, the people in Winnipeg are great, not to disparage them, great people, the rink is fabulous, it's a fun place, but... When you're talking minus 20 degrees, it's just almost unlivable.
1: Yeah, well, before we get to the Sabres, let's talk about Inside the NHL a little bit because I told you in the email I sent you, I believe I wrote this or I was at least thinking it. I've been reading the Inside the NHL column in the Buffalo News almost as long as I could read. Um, I actually learned how to read a long time ago by because I heard they were talking about hockey in this thing that came to my house called the Newspaper. And That's what we like to hear. And I taught myself how to read uh, so that I could read about the Sabres in the Buffalo News. And I remember Jim Kelly was the f- was the first person, I believe, who was writing it uh, when I started reading. And it went right to Bucky after, after Jim, right? Is that right?
0: It went right from Kelly to Bucky and now to, you. to
1: John Vogel Oh, to Vogel, me, And then we've
0: switched... Oh. And now uh, John does an Inside the Sabers column that runs periodically. He did the most recent one, a very interesting piece on Mark Jakubowski, the uh, assistant GM who not a lot of people know about, but has really kind of um, risen in this
1: organization There's some prominent roles with his work with the cap. Yeah, I worked with his wife. I know, Mark. Um, Does it, to me, and I don't know if it's just because I've always read it, to me that's one of the most special columns in the entire paper like it's something that's been coming out weekly that was started by a hall of famer like does it does it mean something extra to you to be a part of writing it or is it just absolutely yeah i I mean I've, i've
0: done inside baseball since 2004 and i was really the first one to do that we produced our own inside baseball column starting in 04 but to pick up a column run by Kelly. I mean Kelly's a revered figure in the yeah. hockey media. Certainly, you know, we miss him every day. He's a Hall of Famer and he had a certain panache and a certain flair for this column. And it's kind of morphed over time. It's not as much gossip and chatter and who might get traded column because that kind of stuff now is so prevalent on the internet in so many places. It's more uh trends going on, news items that people here might not see um, kind of what's ever on my mind that week. It's not so much the rumor of this guy getting traded. The other thing, Steve, is we find the rumors of trades are bothersome to me at times because it's become a cottage industry and there are very few trades made. I mean, think how few trades were made in the first half of the season. You have all these national types over in Canada who specialize in this stuff. Well, what are they doing throwing out all these trade rumors if none of them ever happen or ever come true? So that's always a dilemma you're going now. It's very difficult with the cap to trade. So the column has morphed into more information, sidelights, trends, you know, the arena story in Calgary. People may not necessarily care about an arena in Calgary, but when you're talking the oldest arena in the league and when the commissioner of the NHL, Gary Bettman, goes to Calgary and essentially makes some threats and gets into a battle with the mayor, a war of words, that's pretty interesting reading.
1: Yeah, it blew me away that that's the oldest arena in the league now because, you know, you're talking about a league that, I don't know, maybe you have to go back 20 years already, I guess, that let's just say when our arena opened in 96, you think about how many classic arenas teams played in in the league and they're all gone now and, you know, I mean, I don't want to be over nostalgic that they needed to be replaced, I think, but there were some cool places uh, that these games were played and... um it's weird to think that that would be the the classic arena. I think that and probably the Joe Louis arena has got to be the next oldest, right?
0: right well and joe lewis is technically the oldest is madison square garden but they've done right, a complete renovation that, right yeah. then you have joe lewis which is getting replaced in two years and then you're at the saddle boom and basically oh. the arena boom started in the mid-90s and the sabers were part of that and now as you come up to 20 years of first in the Niagara center the sabers are looking at a lot of renovations coming up in the next few years they haven't really formalized a lot of plans yet but places like tampa and st louis are heavy into renovations you get to that 20 year mark you have to do that because these things can't be continued to be rebuilt you have to make an arena last for 40 50 60 years here in these municipalities now and that's what the sabers are looking at
1: and i think we built a beautiful one i mean i remember i remember the first time i went the very first event there was like like a gala event that the goo goo Dolls and the philharmonic played but then the next event was pearl jam and uh i went to that show all by myself it was 150 dollars my ticket the only reason i was able to buy it was because i won one of those white football cards that week that's right uh i won like 90 dollars so i had enough to pay the 150 for the ticket this one pearl jam was super hot it was my first show i've been to almost 80 now and i remember just walking in there and and going all the way to the top and looking around and just like i just love our arena i'm glad it uh i think we did a good job on that one you know as a city we can look back at some things say oh we screwed that up we screwed this up but i think we i think we built a great arena
0: yeah, and the thing about it is you want to look for uniqueness in each place. The problem is every actual rink is the same size now, 200 by 85, so you have to have the unique qualities to your arena. Our arena has the unique quality of that atrium. No one else has an atrium like First Niagara Center. And I remember taking a tour with Larry Quinn when they were in the construction phase, and I said to him, Larry, this is crazy. How are 19,000 people going to enter and exit the arena from one entrance? The odd, of course, had two. And Larry looked at me and said, this is going to be a great gathering place for the community. It's going to work. And I thought he was crazy at the time. And I was absolutely wrong. And as we saw during the Stanley Cup playoffs in both the 90s, in both the 2006 run, that atrium became a gathering place for people screaming and yelling and celebrating victories on the way out of the building. And the egress to everything is fine. It more than handles the crowd's coming into a game. I know the security issues this year have kind of complicated matters, but it's a unique entrance way that most arenas do not have.
1: After Danny Briere scored that goal in 2006, uh, walking out of that arena that night through that HM, it was the most amazing civic moment of my life. Like, and
0: Brian Campbell has talked about that exact moment. Yep. Brian Campbell has said several times the players were in the change room after Game 6 of the Eastern Conference Final, in '06, and they could hear through the walls the noise of the fans exiting through the atrium. It's, uh, he said he has told me several times it's something he has never forgotten.
1: I'll never forget it either. And it's too bad uh, we couldn't have done something about poor Jay McKee's leg because I think we, <laughs> I think we have a cup. Uh, anyway, I went back to the inside of the NHL a little bit. Um, do you feel like it gets you a little bit more in touch with the league? That it takes you out of the. I know as a beat writer, you can probably zone in a bit on, on your team and on the Sabres. Does writing this column help you kind of pick your head up and look big picture a little bit league-wide? Absolutely. It does two
0: things. You pick your head up and you look at more of the big picture. And the second thing is when you're on the road, you talk to people and you have an avenue to use things. One of the, the issues you were running into when on the road was I was finding out information or just having chats with people and I had really nowhere to use it. You know, sometimes you'd pass it on to Bucky or John or whatever, but now I have, you know, clear cases where I can take the information and things I find out on the road and I can go talk to the other team at times for different columns. So I have a lot more avenues for the information now, not just maybe throwing them up on, on the, the BN Hockey blog, but having them for the Sunday column. Even little chatters. I think of last year when you know, Ted Black was in a lot of hot water for his discussion of tanking when he did a interview with ESPN.com, and there were some scouts when I was out in Vancouver, and they gave me a couple good comments about Ted Black's story. They just didn't want me to use their name. And I said, "Look, I got to identify a little." I said, like, "Can I say Western Conference team?" And they said, "Yeah." And well, there's a couple quotes that I had nowhere to ever use before, and they end up going in inside the NHL and people hear what some opinions are around the league, and it really helps. It's another outlet for information.
1: Yeah, you were um, you were tweeting last night uh, about Patrick Kane, about his totals, you know, his, um, what is he at, 29 goals. Yeah, I think he's, at, career he's at levels of, of the 80s almost. Yeah, he's he's getting into the 80s in points. And I didn't even realize that this was a thing, but I was listening to Merrick and one day, uh, recently, it must have been like a mid-season point time, right around Winter Classic, I was listening, and they were talking about awards. And I don't know if you've done a mid-season award thing and in Inside the NHL or if, or if you're going to do one. or, or where Coming if you, Sunday on the way yeah, to the All-Star break. Figures. That's right about the right time. But <laughs> is there any reason that people, like, do you think it is a thing that's A, and B, do you think it's fair that people might not vote for Patrick Kane for MVP because of what happened in the summer?
0: Um, you know what? I don't think it's going to be a thing at all. Okay. Uh, ultimately, regardless of your opinion on the whole situation, ultimately he wasn't charged. And only two people are going to know whatever happened that night. But he wasn't charged in anything. He wasn't arrested. He didn't serve any suspension in the NHL like Slava Voinov, who had domestic violence issues with the Kings, and basically Patrick Kane is going on. Now, I think there's a certain large segment of fan bases in different parts of the country have a different view of Patrick Kane now, but in terms of voting for awards, guys are voting for, you know, what they see on the ice, and I just can't imagine right now, I mean, if you look at it right now, the Hart Trophy race, I can't imagine any vote first in the heart trophy going to anybody but Patrick Kane or Braden Holpe.
5: Right.
0: You know, to me, those are the only two guys right now. I, I, I got the numbers up here. Kane's at twenty nine goals, forty assists, sixty nine points. His career highs were thirty goals, fifty eight assists and eighty eight points, all in two thousand nine, ten, the first year they won the cup. Assuming he stays healthy, he's gonna shatter all those. I mean think about it, he's never had more than thirty goals in yeah. here. He never
1: had a regular season hat trick till last week. Um, and he would have shattered those numbers last year, probably, if certainly, he didn't get the injury right. Until he got hurt so that's two one. years in a row where he's putting up basically career-shattering numbers.
0: You know, we'll see what happens in the voting. But I, I just think, you know, you know, people understand something happened. There was a long investigation. He wasn't charged. It's a hard problem. But I just think that's the way people are going to look at it, that the voting for... The postseason awards for Patrick Kane will not be impacted by the situation here, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I hope not. I, I don't think it would be fair. Um, I don't have a strong opinion either way about what happened in the summer because I just have no idea. You know, I I'm not I'm not someone who who, you know, it was so hard to talk about on here. You know, people would want us to address the people who listen from outside the area because they knew you know we're in the area, but I, I just don't know. I had a I don't know anything. I, I don't. I'm not one of these people around town who I'm sure you've met that pretend to know this guy who told him this, and that means that he's guilty. Or they they met this guy who told him this, and that means he's not guilty. I just have no idea. I have to go by what the process and the elected officials decided. Um, and, and it was a long process. It was uh, a long process. Under, Underestimate that. A bizarre Daddy. one. A bizarre process too. <laughs> and, and you know, yes, there's, some, it was. <laughs> there's some days where you'd be reading Tim's stuff and just like. Oh, my God, what is going on? And remember, uh, I went to Notre Dame for
0: that incredible press conference. And right. In 30 years of working for the Buffalo News, there have been very few press conferences that have been more bizarre than that one. But uh, it, it was really a bizarre way to open training camp. And, you know, I think the Blackhawks,
5: They'd like had that, not, that one back. They had
0: one. really had not let Patrick Kane out. You know, he had been almost under house arrest, and now they had to answer the situation because camp was starting. And six weeks later, they had to make some statement. And, you know, it was really a strange, strange day.
1: I'd love to ask him. Like, I wonder if because of what happened, if he kind of put his head down and has just been going forward on the ice. Like, I wonder if his increase in production, although you can look at last year and say his game maybe had just matured to this point anyway. And also you could look at his line mate, the rookie he's had such great chemistry with, and maybe you could point there. But I wonder, too, if maybe he just – there's just a different level of focus when something like that happens to you over the summer if you just put your head down. And, and you know, like his agent – I think this was something that Tim wrote where his agent – had made some comments about how, or no, it was Allen from USA Today got criticized for a column he wrote, um where he he put some quotes in from his agent and said, you know, he didn't get to skate over the summer and some things like that. And I just wonder if maybe those things were like a blessing in disguise. If that was a rest that he normally wouldn't take that benefited him in the long run but anyway.
0: well, we did ask him about that yeah. how, how are you going to be ready for the season without skating because he didn't basically leave his house and his answer was that he had access to all the blackhawks blackhawks workout advice and programs he did them all in his home he has a home gym um and i do think there's some theory that these guys burn out from Stanley Cup runs going deep into June, and here you are at training camp again in September. I think they need more time off than they're taking some of these guys in the summer. And you're right; I think Patrick Kane not skating, I think more of the Blackhawks probably should have not skated in August. Okay. And it certainly has an impact on them the way they're playing. But I do think he has a focus to continue to prove he's one of the top players in the league and to move forward in his career. And the other point you make is the Blackhawks people thought we're going to take a step back. They had some cap-related losses after winning the Cup, and they go out and they get Artemi Panarin. And let me tell you, Steve, when you watch Artemi Panarin, it's like watching a Patrick Kane double out there at times. And what's happening is they're feeding off each other so well. Who could have ever imagined the Blackhawks would find a line mate this year for Patrick Kane who was so good and basically get him out of thin air? This is a guy who everyone knew about. He was in the KHL, and people say, well, how come this team didn't sign him? How come that team didn't sign him? Well, Tommy knew about Patrick Kane and the Blackhawks. You know, they do have television in Russia. And <laughs> he wanted to come and play for a winning team rather than come play for a building team. The Blackhawks certainly had spots for him. They had to get rid of Brandon Sod and Patrick Sharp. And it couldn't have worked out any better for the Chicago Blackhawks and Patrick Kane to have Artemi Panarin. And right now, would anyone be surprised to see the Chicago Blackhawks playing deep into June again?
1: No, you could probably argue they're number one right now in the league, either them or Washington. Right, I'd love. I mean, what would the television ratings
0: be? Do you not think NBC is saying, "Please, can we get a Chicago-Washington Stanley Cup final?"
1: Yeah, that would be awesome. I would. I'd sign up for that right now. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about the Sabres a little bit. Uh, We're here with Mike Harrington from the Buffalo News. And um, how do I want to start? You know, it's interesting because we had this discussion last year. I really cared about the results of every game. I really, really wanted them to be losses, right? And obviously, we debated the the merits of, of that. And going into this year... I remember saying on this very program that one thing I really didn't care about much this year was the results of the games. That what really was going to matter to me was getting Eichel and Reinhardt on the ice in every situation we could think of uh, to let them experience those things as very young kids uh, to sometimes fail, to sometimes succeed. You know, I wanted them to get hat-tricks or, you know, score four points in Boston or uh, maybe not back-check on a four-on-four the right way and cost us a goal. I wanted all those things to happen um, because I thought that, you know, that's what was the most important thing about this year. And... For the most part, as a fan, I, I've stuck pretty true to that. I enjoy watching this team, um, and and that's a and that's a relief because I didn't enjoy it the last two years as much as maybe I agreed with what was going. It wasn't it wasn't any fun. I enjoy watching this team, uh, but when I jump on Twitter and I see you tweeting and I see you battling with the people a little bit, and even when I interject. It seems like you get a little hung up on the 29th place thing. Um, And I just don't see why it matters. Now, let me turn it on you and then I'll let you respond. One thing you said last year was, hey folks, this is a team that's 40 points out of the playoffs. And an 18-year-old kid, no matter how great he is, isn't going to erase 40 points in a season. And now here we are 10 points out of the playoffs that 18-year-old and Ryan O'Reilly and Sam Reinhart and Rasmus Ristelainen, the core of the team, none of those guys have disappointed me at all. Uh, The disappointments have been the Matt Molsons and Tyler Ennis, some of the vets on the team, obviously, we could talk about that. But it it seems like you said last year, hey, this can't change. And now this year, despite 29th place, we've still cut 30 points off of the gap between us and the playoffs. So why, do I? Why, in your opinion, why do you get so hung up on the 29th place thing?
0: Well, the one thing is the 40 points is a little deceiving from the standpoint of you had at least two teams, Buffalo and Arizona, clearly trying to lose. And you're never going to have a gap, usually 40 points, from the last playoff team to the bottom of the league. That's you, pretty rare.
1: Do you remember the gap the year before? How far out we were what, the Reinhardt year?
0: You know, I, I can look it up. Quick, I'll look it up,
1: but you respond because
0: it's your turn. So you go ahead. Yeah, the, yeah. the biggest thing I see is this, is that there's no question this team is better, a lot better in some ways. Um, analytics are better. You know, you can see the development of some of these young guys. Ultimately, though, what's interesting to me is the, the cottage industry of Buffalo fandom this year is the style of standings don't matter. Standings don't matter, I just want to see team play better. That's what everybody's saying. That's the catchphrase this year. Standings don't matter. Well, if the standings don't matter, then why do we keep them? The standings matter in 29 other cities in this league, it would seem to me. But we don't care about the standings in Buffalo this year, and that's fine. Because no one, myself included, predicted this team to be a playoff team. Okay, fair enough. This team should be improved. This team is improved. However... Through all the additions of Jack Eichel and Sam Reinhardt now playing here for the full-time, Kane, Ryan O'Reilly, no one, even the most blatant pessimist, picked this team to be anywhere near the bottom of the league this year.
1: Well, Sports Illustrated did. I think they had up that last.
0: They, they were the only one, and I saw it all.
1: Right. And at the time...
0: At the time, when that pick came out, they were railed in Buffalo.
1: Yeah, I railed them. <laughs> they, were, they
0: were laughed at for that selection. The thought of the Sabres being near the bottom of the league this year did not come into anyone's mind. It did not come into my mind at all. So to me, right now, this season is a very interesting study because on the one hand, it's been very successful in several ways. On the other hand, right now, as things stand to me, this is a colossal disappointment. There is no excuse for this team to be at the bottom of this league at all. And one of the problems you see now is you can bring in a Jack Eichel, you can have Sam Reinhart, you can make trades. The Ryan O'Reilly trade right now stands as Tim Murray's Chris Frisco- Critton Frisco- Frisco- yeah. for Daniel Briere. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. the Vander Kane trade doesn't look so good right now. Right. The Robin Leonard trade is just a total incomplete. I refuse to put any grade in the Robin Leonard trade, probably until next year. The guy got hurt. Right. He's going to play 25 games. Who knows if he can be their top goalie. We still don't know if he can play a full season. So we're going to find that out next year a little bit. But to me, this team has to be better. And what this shows is the following. Anybody could have lost last year, built a team to lose, gone in the lottery, lost the lottery, drafted Jack Eichel. I've joked in the paper a few times, a hamster could have done that. So Tim Murray did that. It's a lot harder to win. Okay, And the problem you run into now is everybody says, well, look at Chicago, they built through the draft. And look at Pittsburgh, they built through the draft. And that's true. Except what they did to win in the years when those players were young was they built a core of veterans around those guys. Everyone is, Now the, 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 the cliche I'm hearing a lot now is, well, don't worry about this year, because the Penguins were terrible in Crosby's first year. And then the second year, they were good to go. And they were pushing to make the Stanley Cup final, and by 09 they won it. So that's the latest thing you'll hear from the airwaves now. Don't worry about this year, the Penguins were good. Well, why don't people take a look at who the Penguins had on their team in Crosby's second year. And who did the Blackhawks have on their team other than their draft picks? You're talking veteran, young veterans to go with their young players. You're talking the Bill Guerin's of the world. And they had Marion Hosa's. The Buffalo Sabres problem right now is Tim Murray has to go out and find some veterans in here who can play because Matt Molson is a disaster. We don't know about Tyler Ennis. He's been hurt a lot this year. But if I had told you, Steve, on January the 18th, if I had said this to you in September, Matt Molson and Tyler Ennis are going to have seven goals, be you would, have, you would yeah. have questioned my sanity. Mm-hmm. You know, And this is a problem because no one expected Jack Eichel to come in here and score 40 goals and have 100 points this year. Rookies don't do that anymore. Crosby did, but the, the nature of the game doesn't allow that right now. You know, Jack Eichel's going to have, what, 40 points in his rookie year, 50 points? You know, yeah, I mean, so you 25. needed Molson and Ennis and Gergensens and the, and Fellino and Gianta and these guys to produce this core of veterans. Everybody says, well, these guys aren't going to be here when we win. Well, that's probably true. The question is, do we believe enough in this general manager to get other veteran guys in here, in their place? Because this general manager is the one who gave Matt Molson a five-year, twenty-five million-dollar contract. So this general manager is the one who traded a first-round draft pick for Robin Leonard. And throw out the injury for a second. Robin Leonard has never played more than 45 games in an NHL season. And you've anointed him the starting goalie, and you've given up a number one pick for him. So right now, this general manager scores very highly on drafting, on prospects. You know, the O'Reilly trade, obviously, he scores very low on NHL player procurement right now. And that's a major question for this team. And that's why this team is at the bottom of the standings. It's not because they drafted Jack Eichel. It's NHL player procurement that is Tim Murray's weakness at this point, that he has yet to prove he can do properly to bring this team out of the bottom of the standings. And people say, well, it was supposed to be a process. And I say to you, hmm, it was supposed to be a process for the New Jersey Devils and for the Carolina Hurricanes, among others, who are much better off than anyone would have expected at the start of the year. Yeah,
1: Carolina Carolina's eight points ahead of us. We have uh, two games in hand on them. Uh, here's what I would say to a couple of those things. Um, one is, I hate to compare us to Pittsburgh or Chicago. The team I kind of look at more is Florida right now. And they had four years of drafting guys in the top five. But they're not uh, winning because of their young you are draft huge. Those four guys are huge parts of the team. They're
0: huge Ekblad. parts But they have Luongo, Campbell, Yaramir Yager, Juicy Oaken and Willie Mitchell. They are talking veterans. I just wrote that column when the Panthers were in town. They have standout veteran players to run their team. And that's the guys who are around Ekblad and Huberdo and Barkov. And that's exactly what the Sabres have none of.
1: Right, yeah, Huberdo and Barkov are... You know, 2-3 and in scoring on the team. You know, Akblad's obviously their number one defenseman. Uh, Bukestad uh, has been injured. He's only played 30 games. Yeah. um, So a little bit harder to judge him. But the guys that you mentioned, they come and go. Like, those are the guys in the league who change. Like, I don't want to fall into the trap of everyone else who's saying, like, oh, Matt Molson won't be here, this guy won't be here, that guy won't be here. But... There is some level of truth to that where you're going to be mixing the veterans as each year goes on.
0: You right, know, but and you I, have to figure out, can this guy get players like that? Because right now, he gave Matt Molson five years and $25 million. That's looked really good, hasn't it? Yeah, that's... You know, I mean, that's Matt Molson's a bad example because right. I don't know where he's going to go. They're, I don't know how they're getting rid of that contract, to be honest with you. Other guys, he My can move out for Reno or Ennis or whoever. Right. But, you know, that's a real problem.
1: Molson, they, I think they just had the whole place better. I mean, I don't yeah. know what happened. I I mean, in fairness, uh, to you know, we talk about how nobody picked this team to be last. I don't think this if you pulled the same people, I don't think anyone would have picked Matt Molson to drop off the earth like he has, you know.
0: Well, he didn't he has not had he has not had a season over twenty goals since he left John Tavares. Right. You know, and that's the problem. They overpaid for a guy with a history of scoring only for one team one center. Minnesota had no thought of re-signing Matt Molson after the Sabers traded him there. You know, and to me, I just think Molson his skills have eroded in an odd way. He's so slow on the ice. He's so slow with the puck. It's it's not the same player, and you start to see. I think. In this league, this is becoming much more of a mid-20s league, and that's why we're losing the bridge contracts, because you're not going to pay a 30-year-old long-term deal anymore because it's not working out for them, and there are too many guys like that. You see, the the Kopitar contract is a cautionary tale. Some people say already he's too old for that kind of contract. But I don't know what we're going to do about some of these veterans here because you're going to cycle them out. But eh, admittedly, the Florida Panthers got a little lucky. Nobody would have ever imagined Yarmou Yager. To be the player he is at right. age forty-three, but you could have certainly imagined the contributions of a Brian Campbell, Roberto Longo, Willie Mitchell. I mean, they need to get guys in here like that who can still play, who've won Stanley Cups. They got a Brian Giante in here who is a great leader and won a Stanley Cup, and really can't play anymore. You know, that's a problem. They got young guys who've clearly underachieved, like Marcus Foligno, like Zemgis Gergensen, like Tyler Ennis this year, who they expected to be guys to help out. If you look at it already, they've had success. Who are two of their top three goal scorers right now? It's Eichel and Reinhardt. Right. So that that plan's working fine. And Ristolinen. Sure. Yeah. That, that plan's working fine. It's everyone else around them. And I, I do worry about that because Taylor Hall scores a lot of points at Edmonton, that plan's worked well for them. He's their best player. They don't have enough people around their top linchpin guys.
1: They also brought in Jamie McGinn. That seems to have worked out. Well, and that's the problem. And I think you, you even may have noticed
0: on Twitter. It's time to win now here, Steve. It's yeah, time see, to I win. I don't think it is. And one of the things to me is if you have a veteran player, you're out of the playoffs, and you think he can play, why are you not going to offer Jamie McGinn a contract? I would. Just because Jamie McGinn is a UFA, why does he automatically have to be dealt? You do not have any rule saying you must trade all your UFAs. Now and I'm Tim Murray, I'm convinced, is going to trade Jamie McGinn at the deadline, and I think that's a mistake. So if he thinks, well, let's trade him for a third-round pick, we'll sign him again in July. That generally doesn't happen. That happened with Matt Molson because you gave him five years and $25 million, which isn't something no one else would have ever come close to.
1: Right. No, I agree and with he, that. I think they've got to keep him again.
0: You Absolutely, know. they got to keep it. That's a veteran kind of player that can be a compliment around your core. You're going to trade him off your team right now and at the deadline for a third-round pick. He's basically one of your top-line wingers right now.
1: Right, and I was going to mention Franzen, who's another guy they brought in that I thought was a good addition. Yeah, uh, I like him. And I like him. There's going to be interest in him. Yeah. I don't know. It's so another guy know. I'd like to keep. Yeah, yeah. I suppose.
0: I To me, Franzen's a little more replaceable than McGinn right now, the way this team is. But I like Franzen. I wouldn't necessarily trade him. And the thing is, he's not a UFA either. He's signed for next year also. Right. So you can keep Franzen. I think they're going to get inquiries on Franzen because he's got another year of control. But I would keep Franzen. I just think, to me, it's going to be a mistake if you just dump Jamie McGinn for a draft pick at the deadline. Don't say to him, hey, how about how about a three-year, $10 million deal? Would you be interested?
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I, I really do. And I, And I think... My big, my big, my biggest point here is that we all agree that we didn't think they'd be a playoff team. We also agree we didn't think they'd be 29th place. Yeah, um, I think it, well, there
0: was some playoff predictions. There were some very optimistic fans, but there were some playoff predictions. Surprisingly enough, to me, from the media, from the national media in Calgary surrounding or in Calgary in Canada wow. surrounding the Buffalo Sabers. A little over. A I, I was very there. surprised. Yeah, at
1: that. yeah, I think that was a little. It's a little over-optimistic. I would have loved to be in the playoffs, but I, I don't think that was my expectation. My expectation going in this year was, like I said off the top, get the guys who are going to be the core of this team in as many situations as we can. Let them fail sometimes. Let them succeed sometimes. And, you know, let's just start going forward. And I feel like it's been a success. Now, I don't know why the home record is so bad. Uh, I think maybe we'll see that improve a little bit in the second half of the season, hopefully. Uh, And, you know, there's no reason to think this far ahead, but they're going to get another – they're going to get the third guy. You know, they're going to get – I guess I think Bukestad was the third guy in the four years of the top picks for Florida. They're going to get that guy now this year. And if it's Matthews or one of the finished guys, if it's a top three pick – You get one of those guys, man. I I just i i can't i can't be i can't be too disappointed. Now, another thing we need to talk about is Kane and um his buddy, the defenseman whose name Bogosian. Kane and Bogosian. Kane is a guy. I don't know what you think. It's frustrating because one night you watch him and you think man, this guy is awesome, and the next night you don't even notice. He's so inconsistent. It's like if he can find some consistency in his game, we'd win that trade. If he can just find a way to be consistent, and I think that's where the, the hiring of Bilesman needs to – That that's on him. He needs to get that guy to be consistent night in and night out. Cause if well, that I think w- he's been pretty consistent. I think he's also been
0: inconsistent in finish. He brings an element they haven't had – that kind of power forward who can really work the wall and go down low. But you think about it, Steve, how many games did we go through at the start of the season? I think it was 11, where Jack Eichel, the first 11 games of the season, didn't have an assist. Yeah,
1: that was that really That was weird. mostly
0: because he was feeding Evander Kane on the doorstep, when and Evander finished. Kane wasn't finishing plays yeah. that Jack Eichel was setting up. To me, this trade, it's still the jury's out. It was time for Drew Stafford to go. Everyone agrees with that. Mm-hmm. I still hate the trade of Tyler Myers. And people say, well, Tyler Myers was playing lousy and this and that. He was playing 23 minutes a game on a terrible team where every minute he played was pressure. He never had O'Reilly and Eichel and Reinhardt to pass the puck to. I would love to have seen him play on this team this year.
1: Right.
0: You know, let's not forget who was the worst Corsi player in the NHL last year. Who was it? You know? No, I don't. The worst Corsi player in the NHL last year was Rasmus Ristolainen. Wow. And was that on him? (laughs) No, it was, who is he passing the puck to? Who is Tyler Myers going to pass the puck to? Now you've you've basically said, gee, it'd be nice for the Sabres to have another puck-carrying defenseman here. Well, no, the Sabres really could use Tyler Myers right now. Not playing on a top pair, Tyler Myers playing on a second pair. Instead, they have Zach Bogosian and Evander Kane. And people say, well, you wouldn't have Evander Kane if you didn't trade Myers, and that's true, except... I want the Evander Kane who's going to get me 35 goals. I don't want the Evander Kane who's got nine as we're pushing February. Right. Even though he may miss ten games. Okay, but still, how many would he have if he played those ten games?
1: Thirteen, maybe. Right. Yeah.
0: He's played pretty well. He doesn't finish. That's been his reputation his whole career. He shoots from everywhere. He hasn't met a shot he hasn't liked. He's kind. Of, it's kind of the basketball term, but he doesn't finish. And for this trade to work. Kane's got to be a 30 goal scorer. Bogosian's got to be a top guy. Now, Bogosian, I've been really down on. In the last week, I think Bogosian played two really stellar games. He was terrific in Minnesota.
5: I thought he was very
0: good against the Capitals, also. And that's the kind of play you have to see from him. Now, we haven't seen it, I think, because of his injury situation. But he needs to play those kind of hard minutes, be hard on the puck, start skating well to make that trade work because they gave up a ton in that trade. I know Joe Armia wasn't going anywhere. I doubt Brendan Lemieux was signing. You gave up another number one. You know, you gave up top picks. You know, how many number one draft picks you traded in that deal? You traded Myers, Stafford, Armia. Right. You know, I mean, it was it, right. it was a crazy trade. If the two players you get don't become stars here, and right now they haven't been.
1: All right, let me ask you this. There's... Uh, let's see, they played 45 games, so that means that there's a little less than that left. For Mike Harrington, what do you need to see happen with the Sabres for you to think year two of the GMTM era was a successful one?
0: Well, I'm going to be disappointed if they can't be 500 teams, if they can't get to 82 points, and right now they're, they got a, they got a ways to go to get there. You know, to me, if they go from 54 points to 73, people are going to say, oh, that's a 19-point improvement. That's pretty good. And that would be most years. They were trying to lose last year. So improving by 19 points this year shouldn't be hard. They didn't want to win last year. Okay? Um, I think you have to see the continued development of Reinhardt and Eichel, like you're seeing. I think you need to see what Murray does the deadline. I mean, don't discount. Maybe he brings a veteran in. He's got $9 million in cap space. He can go out and make an Evander Kane-type trade at the deadline this year and bring in a veteran who could help him down the road.
1: Who are your come. untouchables? If, if something like that were to happen in your mind, who are the untouchables in the organization right now? We know Eichel, we know Reinhardt, we know and we know O'Reilly. Beyond that, who are your untouchables?
0: You know, that might be it. I mean, I don't, yeah. think, I don't think Murray's, uh, we've seen Murray's not averse to trading prospects, especially ones he didn't draft. You know, everybody certainly wants to see Justin Bailey in Buffalo someday, but I think if Murray has a deal he wants, Justin Bailey can go. Baptiste can go. I mean, Murray already traded Armia. He traded Brendan Lemieux. He he traded J.T. Comfer. I mean, I don't think he wants to trade Hudson Fashing, but Hudson Fashing's another guy. He You know, he got he got in it with the Braden McNabb deal. We'll see. I mean, to me, <clears throat> very few people are going to be untouchable when you're in the situation the Sabres are in, and I think Murray knows... You know, free agency is a tough thing, Steve. I mean, we, you just, it, it's buyer's remorse. And, you know, I don't want to bring up Billy Lano and Erhoff, but you do get more of those deals than you want in free agency, and most of them are not that good. Um, he's going to need to make more deals here and get some veterans, but we don't know if he can. But I want to see this team figure out the situation at home. I mean, is it the chicken or the egg? Is there no support from the fans because nothing's going on in the ice? Or should the fans be helping the team out and maybe get them going because it's terrible. I mean, I travel these other rinks, and some of these teams aren't very good. in the start of the game, and ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your Calgary Flames, and the whole building is up on its feet roaring when the team is on the ice. And that's not the case in Buffalo. And let me tell you, that's noticed in that locker room, and nobody's going to say it publicly, it's noticed. But at the same time, guys are like, well, you know, we got a couple goals. Early on in the game, you get the crowd in the game. But to me, this home record is just, you know, the strides they've made on the road have been exponential. They had eight and nine road wins the last two years. They've already got nine. Right. But to be 9-14-2 at home, and, to, you know, I think it's, let's see, it's 25 home games. They have 50 goals at home. They have exactly two goals a game at home. They finally hit two goals a game at home by scoring four against Capitals. It's just unacceptable.
1: Yeah, and the first periods have been so bad, too, in general.
0: They're not getting good starts, yeah. and, you know, it, they just simply have to figure out that issue. And, and left unsaid through all this, you know, the Penguins and the Cap. The Penguins had a number one overall pick and goal when they got good and started winning. The Buffalo Sabres could be hamstrung if they can't figure out the goaltending situation. We'll see. We like
1: Right. It's just still a big th- unknown, yeah. Yeah, we like yeah. the
0: potential of Lena Solmark. I yeah. mean, I think they might trade Chad Johnson. We don't know what Robin Leonard is, and will their seasons get torpedoed here in the next couple of years because they can't figure it out? And go, that's a big question mark.
1: Yeah, that'd be such a huge bummer, especially for an organization that. If you look back historically, it's like the one thing we've always had as a goalie, right? You know, It's like, the ironic okay, thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you, the look, the ironic you started thing.
0: all the way from Roger Crozier.
1: Yeah. You can go 44 years
0: all the way through to Ryan Miller. and Now you're right. It's the first time where we've really looked at it as a question mark in the
4: organization.
1: Yeah, it's like, geez, we always had that. Uh, let's finish up. Uh, quick things. A couple quick things. Uh, Biles must so far. Your thoughts? Um,
0: it's, a, it's a challenge for him. It's the first time he's lost in the NHL. You know, and we have to see how he continues to react. to I didn't like a lot of the early season line juggling at all. I didn't like pairs. Lines are threes, not twos. Um, I think he brought in a great staff, and that's really helped. Terry Murray's been terrific with the defense. I think he's a real factor with Lions' development. Um, we just have to see. Right now, Biles is showing me patience, which I didn't know he would have, because how is he going to react to losing, and it's been interesting to watch. And he's been okay so far, but I need to see more than okay. You know, like you said, you got to get guys like Evander Kane really going here.
1: Tell me something about Jack Eichel that has kind of surprised you a bit. Is there anything about his game that's better or worse than you thought it might be when he came in?
0: Um, well, I think he's he's in a in a rut right now. Of stick handling a little too much. You know, a couple times this year, in the last couple weeks, he's tried to go through guys, and I remember thinking to myself, well, "It's not hockey East anymore, Jack." Right. But at the same time, I think. The thing that is incredibly impressive to me that people don't see is his maturity off the ice. I mean, every road trip we go on, there's four or five people waiting for him to talk about his career, asking him basically the same questions and his maturity level. And sometimes guys say, are you sick of this? And he's like, no, this is your job. My job is to play hockey and answer the questions. The maturity level of this guy off the ice is off the charts. And that translates on the ice at times. He plays a very mature game on the ice. You do forget at times he's 19, and that's something that really bodes well.
1: You know, it's something he's incredible at. One of the best I've seen at this is how good he is at changing speeds uh, from one end of the rink to the other to give himself space. The power, he, over the power, and, and the, over the stride. Again. I mean, you see yeah. that long stride. Nobody has that long stride really, especially at nineteen.
0: And you're right; he does have different gears.
5: Yeah, and he, and he really
0: has a different gear in the offensive zone, and he can really screw a defenseman up when they think they've got him along the wall, and all of a sudden he just goes.
1: Yeah, he'll goat. He'll, he goats guys into thinking he's at his top speed already, and then he he get bam. It's another gear, and he he creates himself a lot of space that way. And I don't think I. I noticed that about his game, as you said in Hockey Eastern college hockey. I didn't realize how well and how quickly it would translate in the NHL. No, uh, no
0: one, no one knew, and yeah. really, it, that one certainly has.
1: Uh, I think that's about it. Uh, you can find Mike on Twitter. Uh, don't swear at him. That that's is right. absolutely <laughs> frowned upon. Uh, we can't, <laughs> we can't have that. Be kind. There's no reason not to. He's at B N Harrington. Uh, B N stands for Buffalo News. I figured that out. Uh, BN Harrington, he's there on Twitter. Uh, Buffalonews.com, you can read him. I don't even – do you guys still have the the limits, the article limits? I haven't gotten that graphic anymore recently. Yeah,
0: know. there's still certain things there, but you know, digital subscriptions are a great idea if you're not looking for a print newspaper. You get Yeah,
1: the paper ooh, looks it's, great on the iPad. You I, get
0: the web, you get yeah. the iPad, the iPhone, the digital paper on the iPad looks terrific, and it's something people are really starting to find out about. It. It's really a, a, a neat thing to have. People don't want to have to worry about the recycling of the newspaper. I can't recommend the
1: electronic paper more. Yeah, buffalonews.com, you can get more information on that as well. And Mike... Thanks for all the time today. I appreciate it. I had fun talking. And next time we have to work in uh, this thing with the baseball writers. I we got to talk about it next time because I just ugh, every year I get mad at these guys. I think they make it about themselves. Some of them. Well, you got to have me on again because yeah, well, I'm coming do. up
0: on I'm coming up on year ten.
1: Yeah. So you're gonna have a vote. Yeah.
0: Next year's Hall of Fame voting will be my first one.
1: Yeah, and what we can do is we can just kind of talk about the ballot together, and we'll fill it out that way. You'll just, <laughs> you just come on, we'll discuss it, we'll figure out what ten guys we want to vote for. So I think that's why we're closing.
0: Yeah, it's an awesome responsibility that I am going to take incredibly seriously, and it's very, very interesting and the number of divergent opinions you have on it that I'm already getting on it before months before I see the bow. I won't even have the bow in my hand for 11 months. Right. It's already pretty incredible.
1: Well, I think you're one of the good ones and I know you will take it seriously and thank you for all the time today. Uh, I look forward to uh, having you back soon.
0: All right, Steve. Thanks. Thanks very much. Take care.
1: All right, I want to thank Mike Harrington for being on the podcast. I also want to thank Brian Curtis. Don't forget you can get Season 6, Episode 1 of the Sportscasters on our website, www.sports-casters.com. You can also find us on Stitcher, on iTunes. And if you're All not
2: seeing season, season six episode one in your iTunes or Stitchers, scroll down. It's my bad. Uh, hopefully it's something will refresh or whatever and it'll jump back up. But go back to season five, episode one, and season six episode one should be right next to it.
1: Yeah, Don F up the dates. I messed
2: I'm still right in 2015, I guess.
1: You can find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters or at Don Lake Sports, and you can email us to sportscasters at gmail.com.
2: All right, one last thing for me this week, and it's kind of a question piggybacking off the Pearl Jam tour thing. And uh, part of my dilemma with Pearl Jam this year is I do have two kids, so leaving the wife alone for a long, like, four-day venture. Gets complicated. Gets complicated, yeah, yeah to say the least, because I don't want to be divorced or anything like that. Right. But uh, I've had this thought for a long time. My, my daughter is almost four. When do you bring her to the first Pearl Jam show? Cause, I mean, uh, that's, that's- first grade. First grade. First grade, yeah. So six years old, that, yeah. that age.
1: Yeah, I don't know how to how to. I mean, people bring younger kids, but they put the headphone things right. on them, the noise canceling headphones, and you can do that, I guess. But it becomes a little bit too much about taking care of her, and neither of you really end up enjoying it that much,
2: right? And like, as cool as it is with some of those things, like Eddie will throw the kids a tambourine or something like that. Like, is that about the kid or is that about you? Like, I want to show her this because it's something I really like. But at the same time, like I'm buying a ticket and if it's my fan club ticket, that's like my wife not going or she's going, right. but she's sitting somewhere else. And, uh, it seems complicated. I always wonder about the kids at the shows thing. Cause I'm hoping she'll be into it enough to go to one with me before they quit.
1: No, I think like the idea is that one day you'd like to take her to be able to show her what it is you love so Absolutely. much, you yeah. know, and be able to share that moment. Like I had that with Anthony, right? Like it really meant a lot to me to take his and first show and my mom, both yep. of those, uh, and even and even tammy too right um yeah. you know uh and with tammy it was about the trips too like but you yes. see how fun this is when we do it like a trip yep and it's not just about a show um and we went on some good ones detroit in 2003 we had a great trip we went to chicago. Uh, philadelphia in 2006 and we went to the chicago in 2008 together um So, six years old, I I think she's got to be six because she's got to be old enough to be accountable for herself. Okay. You know what I mean? She's She's got some
2: schooling in her. She's got to
1: be able to know that this is going to be this long. I have to be willing to accept that if I'm going to go. Uh huh. You know, it's going to be loud. I have to be willing to accept that. Like, right now, she's just a little girl. Do you get floor You know what I mean? I think you just get the best you can. The best you can, yeah. You know, you can protect her with your plugs and all that. I don't think it matters. It's not like 1996 where you're going to be on the floor and state of love and trust is going to come and you hold your breath for five minutes and hope you don't die. <laughs> you know, like right. that's not a thing anymore. So right. you get the best seats you can because the better the seats, the better the experience. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you got to know there's going to be a little bit of language in there, but yeah, I mean, come on language, whatever. Right. And he's yeah, I- an adult and he's going to say words that kids can't say. You got to explain that to her.
2: Right. Yeah. I remember him pulling a girl on stage. I can't remember where it might've even been Buffalo like 2003 and he's like fuck oh i said fuck in front of the kid yeah but uh yeah so i i really want to do that i'm excited about that like i'm into board games too and that's always exciting for me to introduce her to board games or I maybe mean, my son is way too young still but like in pearl jam was on that list too that's something i got to introduce her to
1: i was talking to brian about this and it might have been before we started going just about having a daughter which we've kind of quasi mentioned on this show that i'm having a daughter but
2: Oh, okay. I yeah, I knew you mentioned having a kid.
1: Yeah. Um and the thing that I guess for me that I'm a little nervous about is I look at Tammy and pretty much the only thing she ever says to her dad is, Bye Dad. I tease her. Because like for the last one hundred interactions with her dad, all I can really remember them saying to each other is her saying, Bye Dad. It's so not a dad. Real girl. sweetly. Yeah. You know, but like her great relationship. Like she goes out with her mom mm-hmm. and they go shopping and they do all kinds of girl things. And of course she loves her dad and her dad is like – cooks for her every Tuesday and I think he loves doing that. And they, okay. s- and they spend time with each other but it's like his interest and her interest, they don't really overlap in terms of like their oh, great gotcha. passions. Mm-hmm. Like one of Tammy's great passions is shopping and that's a great <laughs> passion of her mother and sure. they do that together. right? And it's like what are my passions – I know what my passions are. Is it possible my daughter will have these? And even if she would, do I want her to? Mm. Yeah. I mean, music like, is Do good. I want my daughter to be really into, like, Life of Agony and Brooklyn Metal? <laughs>
2: <laughs> like, I'm not so sure. Well, maybe sure not that do. deep. That's a little bit deep, I think. But uh, music, movies is good. You've got a thousand movies out there. Yeah. Uh, you just got to you, you get into the Pixar ones.
1: See, it's like then we sit down and we're like, I can't wait to show you The Karate Kid because... I wanted to bone this chick so bad in this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's maybe like, you leave that part. You can't probably. go there, right? No, probably not. Like she's gonna be like, Why did you like this movie so much? Right. While yeah. I uh really uh like karate.
2: Yeah, that'll be the <laughs> that'll be the tough part too, is when she watches it and she'll be like, That's the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. Then you have to ground her or something. Yeah, smack
1: her in the face. <laughs> Bitch in your room. But yeah, no, I think about six. It's gotta be a point where she's self aware. Six and, is –
2: that might be a good answer too because, like I said, she's had some schooling. So she's used to a little bit of structure. And like you said, you can coach her up a little bit beforehand. This is going to be a little long. Right. I can get you a – I run out and get you a pretzel Popcorn or something this, during even flow or right. whatever. And whatever. But but yeah, it's just one of
1: these events where this is what we do for this period of time. Right. We don't do what Molly wants. One time in the <laughs> – you go to the bathroom before. You get one bathroom break during. Right. And then you go after. Right. Otherwise, you're holding it or peeing yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um, concessions will take care of that before. Maybe one stirring.
2: I'm gonna need a Buffalo show, I think, for this, or like a Cleveland show. I think the to... Yeah, it needs to
1: be a short day. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's gonna be tough for her to. Yep. Or it's one of these things where it's a family trip,
2: it's like Disneyland slash Pearl Jam. You know, it's a family yeah. trip,
1: and one day Dad gets to do Pearl Jam, and he's gonna take. Yeah, that'd be sweet. You know, he's gonna take a uh, Molly not. Take uh Ryan. Ryan. He'll get his turn. And not take mom. Mom and Ryan will do something special sure, with yep. each other that day. And dad and Molly are gonna do this together.
2: All right. I'll let mom know. We've all out.
1: Have you ever I wanna ask you about this, because you named Molly after someone. Yes. There was a reason, it meant something, it was mm-hmm. important to you. Have you explained that to her yet? No. Is there like is that something you think about? Like are you excited? To tell her about it, or I mean, I know there's some sadness surrounding yeah, it, obviously. But um, like have you and Michelle ever talked about that,
2: we don't really lie to her about stuff, but there's stuff we just don't bring up
1: either. Right, but so so it's gonna have to be one day her come up coming up and saying, she "Hey, why did you name me Molly?" She
2: understands what dying is to a certain extent. Like every time we but drive hers by a really cemetery, heavy. it's too early for that. Yeah, yeah every time we drive by a cemetery, she talks about the people in the ground and stuff. Like she understands that part of it. Um. No, I don't think we'd be afraid of that one. There's not a lot of, like, a little girl. I don't think it would scare her because I don't think she'd connect it, but just a little girl that got sick and didn't make it. So I, I don't – I think if she ever thought about it or asked us about it, I think we'd be okay telling her that one. I mean, it. there's other more, like, heavy issues that maybe you just – Yeah, I mean, because we're going to name my daughter after
1: my grandmother. Who passed away of Alzheimer's disease at a really young age, and it's a really important and special thing to me. Right, and I want her to know that, and I want her to carry that as a sense of pride. Yeah, she'll know. You know I mean, so. she will know.
2: Yeah. I, it's just she's not even four yet. It's probably a little. Yeah, it's early. If she asked That's still early. If she yeah. asked, we would tell her. But we we don't need to bring up something.
1: That would be a good sad. That would be a good third gradish thing. I think. <laughs> <laughs> just before puberty, kind of a thing. Right. All right. One last thing, since we're a bit off the rails. Yeah. I was watching a little bit of Patrick Kane last night. Um, they had uh, Nashville, Chicago on NBC Sports. I watched a little bit, and you're watching the game, and the whole time you're thinking, "Wow, Patrick Kane is the best player in the world." Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about how I was thinking about Neil Pert, the drummer for Rush. Right. Okay. There was a day where Neil Pert joined Rush. Before the Fly By Night album, just like there was a day where Patrick Kane joined the Blackhawks after the draft, right? And Patrick Kane isn't the best player in the world yet. No. He's just a guy with a lot of upside, a guy with a lot of potential, a guy that people are excited to have around. And Neil Peart is a guy who nobody knows he's the best drummer in the world or he might not even be yet. He's just a good drummer that is joining this band and they put out this album and it's got a couple hits and You notice, like, wow, that band's got a good drummer there. Mm -hmm. And then maybe Moving Pictures happens. It was released February 12th, 1981. It's about five or six albums into Neil Peart's tenure in Rush. He joined in, like, 1975, and it's 1981 now. And John Bonham died in September of 1980. So he's not alive anymore. And Moving Pictures comes out, and it's like, okay, now... Neil Pert isn't just the drummer of this band. He's the best drummer in the world. And I think this season is Patrick Kane's moving pictures.
2: I, I just looked at his numbers this year. They're insane.
1: <laughs> yeah, he matched his career high in goals last night. 49 games into this.
2: Well, forty he's played 49 games. I'm not sure if he's missed any, but 49 games in.
1: And he matched his total January 20th, career high. It's insane. He has, what, 50 assists? 41. 41 assists.
2: So he's 17 points behind his career-high point total with 30-some games. Right,
1: out. and all this stuff would have been higher, but he got hurt last year. Like, he was having this kind of season last year, too.
2: Yeah, yeah well, not quite. but Not quite this good, but right, he was having his career ridiculous. season. I mean, this is like a player from the— Early '90s. This is a season. guy who
1: has went from one of the better players in the league to the best player in the world. This season is Patrick Kane's moving pictures. He has gotten to a point where maybe Sidney Crosby, because of injuries, because of concussions, isn't quite as good as he used to be. Jack Eichel and Connor McDavid—they're still the young guys like he once was. And clearly, the spot was available, and Patrick Kane took it. Just like maybe back in 1980, when John Bonham passed away, the drummer of Zeppelin, who was maybe the best drummer in the world, passed away, and Neil Peart, he took that spot during the Moving Pictures album. And Neil Peart became the best drummer in the world. And this season is Patrick Kane's Moving Pictures.